tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, a GAA club causes controversy around new rules for players. Why social media has a lot to answer for when it comes to the Dublin riots last week. Locals shocked after on board Planola overturn a council planning refusal. Ukrainian military officers on the Tipperary Cork border for NATO partner country training. It's a very interesting one that, and we'll be talking to uh, Mick Barry about that um, in just a little while. Our agony aunt Phil is with us, our psychotherapist uh, Susan, on Christmas conflict. And we have Dr Pat Harold as well to talk to us about knee and hip replacements. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 83 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. We have a lovely prize to give away. I'll tell you about that in a little while. And, of course, we will play match three as well. So all that coming up on the programme. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today, the Irish Daily Mail. And they're leading with the story that visitors to Dublin were put on alert over riots and violence by the Canadian British and Australian governments as tourism chiefs try to repair the damage caused by Thursday's events. Seemingly according to the Mail, uh, Patrick Keelty's toy show uh, beat tubs in terms of numbers of viewers, so there you go. The Irish Times and their main story, Dublin communities may form vigilante groups to uh, protect themselves from violence unless the Gardaí Crack down on thugs and far-right extremists, councillors have told the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris during a rather tense meeting following last week's riots. Also on the uh, Times today, interesting one, there's a rising number of woodpeckers new to this country over the past 20 years and they're proving a big headache and an increasing cost for the state's electricity network operators because they're rather fond of the ESB poles, I'm assured. The Irish Independent... And uh, their main story, prominent far-right activists were organising anti-immigrant protests within an hour of Thursday's stabbing attack in Dublin, a leading expert has said. And finally, a look at the Irish Examiner and uh, their main story. Um, is uh, around the Justice Minister, um, Helen McEntee, who has proposed significant proposals around uh, consent, indeed withdrawn significant proposals around consent in the government's major uh, reform of existing rape laws, a provision in the legislation, seemingly, which has already been signed off by Cabinet, sought to change the legal test around consent. So that's kind of uh, interesting and it will trundle on because the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre um, a chief exec- executive, uh, Rachel 
Murrah said that this will deny protection to victims of sexual violence and urge the Minister to reconsider that particular decision. Also on the examiner today, the Gardaí have been asked to fast-track procurement of body cameras for officers while the force may seek help from law enforcement in other jurisdictions in trawling the sheer volume of CCTV footage from last week's riots. So that's a, a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. And if you want to make comment on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. 0833113311. Now, social media was alive with uh, comments over the last few days in response to a document that was sent out to members of a GAA team. Now, we don't know for sure what club it is, but uh, the limits and rules that have been set for players are really surprising. Among them, no drinking between June and October, no holidays between June and October, and would you believe, no golfing either. Well, former Tipperary hurler and all-star John Leahy uh, joins me in studio. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, friend. Um, I think you thought this might have been a bit of a gag when you saw it, first of all, John. <laughs> I did, Fran. I totally thought it was a bit of a skit. Uh, I said to be something like the unbelievables that love now for back in their day yes. with Pat Short and John Kenny uh, saying what what the, the proposers are saying. Um, I showed it to a couple of friends of mine and they were on the same opinion. They thought it was just something that was going around. But And so did I when I originally saw it. Um, <clears throat> I suppose it's when you look at it, like, you know, the, I know we're in an era now that players are gone to a whole new level of fitness, but you know, I do think that players, you know, need to have a life outside of their sport. And when we look at, I suppose, the point of view of people's mental health and people, mm-hmm. are, like, this looks very extreme to me. And like anything in life, we need balance. I don't see balance coming out of this proposal going to the GA, friend. Yeah, no drinking during the championship uh, in there as well. Yeah. Commitment to, to treating League 2024 like championship in all aspects of preparation. A commitment by a team to lead the team fundraising activity and uh, to players training fund thereafter. So a lot of demands. A lot of demands. Yeah. And I suppose like when you look at point three there when you look at uh, the no drinking Mm. and uh, you know it means suspension or removal from panel. Like we must remember like these chaps have a life and and should have a life and I'd imagine we're after finishing this year when you look at we had World Cups in soccer we had World Cups in rugby and World Cup in cricket uh, out in Qatar where there's drinking ban. I have no doubt players from all over the world were drinking during the campaign. We do know it's a pretty regular thing for Munster and Leinster rugby players and Irish players to have a pint or two mm. after the match. Like the cricket was in, in the UK last last week or two weeks ago and Australia win it. I know those those boys to, to relax and to wind down would have had a few mm. pints. But for some reason, whatever has crept into the GA, there's a wicked culture that there's an anti-drink into it. And, you know, go back to the time I suppose when we were playing off and say this we're able to have a life friend mm. you know I mm. went home off and said this before that on a Tuesday night after training from Turles and uh, I turned my bag in the corner and my mother picked it up and done the washing and I didn't have to pick up that bag until Thursday evening again yeah. now I was yeah. able to have a life you know and maybe we were able to kind of mix with people and we got to know people but now we're gone totally to an extreme that we're expecting the J player to be purely professional in every aspect mm. and, and the is difference is with the comparisons you made John the rugby players the soccer players they're all paid and they paid extremely well 
paid extremely well and they're allowed time with their family and they're allowed time to um, you know to, and I suppose they're allowed time to themselves I think in the J and I, and I know at that local level as well when you think of you know look at the other point around um, point six there with the you know logging of activities on apps and that you know that's telling me that the J and I we're not trusting our players anymore what, what does that mean exactly at that particular point? Well, I think that at that point, what I come across some of that players now, and I know it's happening at local level in that friend, that when players are going training, say you take a bit of off season now, or you know, there were the time when teams couldn't collectively train, but they could train individually. And what they had to do was prove that they were training. So if they go train up to the field or go to the gym, they actually had to, um, what way they put to take a photo of themselves or, or video their activity and, you put, and then put it up on their team app right uh, in the point of view to, to show that they've done their training now where's the trust here in this number one Fran I would say that we need to you know players are sacrificing players are good guys who want to play the sport and we need to trust them and the same go back to the point with the drinking we need to trust them be mature about it now if you look at that the one thing when I always see these whatsapps I'm conscious of young people you know if we look from a mental health point of view a lot of young people still, you know, are grown up with dyslexia, dyspraxia, that stuff, mm, and they're playing yeah. their sport. And they're now, can they read a text that's being put out, or are they able to write a text to put in what's um, they're doing, or they able to manage on the phone? We presume everyone in this day and age is, I suppose, phone literate, you know, computer literate, but they're not, friend. And like you're asking young people, we don't, you know, to 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 write into these groups, and that's fine for well-educated people. And we know a lot of J people now are going on to third-level education, sure. and they're they're there, and we do know there's a lot of people who are getting help for dyslexia and all that stuff in, in context of um, you know getting support mm. but mm. the GA and local GA and maybe County Border we're not thinking that that um, aspect of those young people yes. who, 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 are, who don't have those abilities. And John is there a touch of the ban when you read number 10 no other sporting <laughs> commitments past June soccer, golf, rugby athletics etc. Totally, friend, and I can't <laughs> agree with you more. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> like, I, you know, you go back to the early, the 60s and the 70s where the ban was in players, yeah. players, you know, you'd hear old stories of players sneaking out of college and sneaking out to go play GA or go watch a soccer match or go watch a rugby match and they were hiding and all that. And I suppose having been involved, it's kind of comical to me here, looking at this because having been involved in training teams up along from you know since I retired with Tip Intercounty with club teams and that you know often you'd hear oh that's old school oh that's old school training that's old style management that we don't do that anymore all that but here we are now with a proposal that with you know what is what did no what does it say no other sporting commitments past June well we have a little bit of leeway right soccer golf rugby athletics they've even attitude now if that's not old school uh, Fran yeah. if the GR not asking people to be old school and we, we have to be careful where are we going with this you know it is you know again I think I do feel this Fran that the J for some reason kind of does a persona put out that they own the J player you know and I look at it in the point of view the J don't own our players you know they're, they're good guys and good girls we must remember as well that's playing sport put in an awful lot of time 
covering their own expenses. You know, it is only the, the county board or if you make a development squad or make a, not even a development squad, sorry, but if you make a county panel, you'll get paid expenses in my book. But everybody else have to put petrol in the car. We're in a tough time, you know, of, of, of economy. Um, you know, they have to food, they have to buy the proper food. You can't just have an ordinary meal. Now, that's more expense on the family. And here we are, we're looking at that, you know, we're asking you then not to be committed to other sports. We're asking you then to, um, you know, partake in fundraising. Mm. Mm. You know, p- players have enough to be doing. I remember saying this down to like, players, you know, you would like players to get involved in some bit, but others within a club or a county board have to be responsible for the fundraising in an organisation because of the time, mm. the commitment and effort that the players are putting. They don't have the energy for and it. And I suppose there's an element of extreme to what we're talking about here, but but you seem to be in no doubt that this would be kind of the consensus in, in, in clubs anyway. And what is the result of that then, John? Are we losing great players? Are we losing good players? I believe we are, friend. I believe players are stepping away from it because they're being asked too much you know, particularly at club level, the extremes to, to, to perform now at any kind of level, that the enjoyment and the fun is um, is going out of it. And I do think, like, there's a lot of players, this is their life, this is what they want, that's fine. And I would often say in my time breaking down on players when you see a, a club or a team, particularly club level, that maybe a third of these players are doing this anyway and this is their life and that's what they want. They want to jade their life. But in a club environment, you have other players who it's not their life and they want to play hurling and they want to play football and they want to play Gaelic games. That It's not their life though. They have a life outside of it. They have work commitments. They have family commitments. And this is part of what they want to do because it's a hobby and it's nice. And I would often say, you know, I've often say often kind of I see it creeping in a bit that the J or the sport is your family it's not we have to be realistic here friend that you know our family is always number one in life in my book you know our work our college is number two and our sport whatever that may be and maybe Jane is third you know we don't complicate them because you know at the end of the day if you look at I'm at the end of I suppose playing and sport and coming out of it and had a great time and you know at the time I really enjoyed all the guys I played with both club and county we had brilliant times but life moves on and I look at it now that the J is not my life and who were the people that supported me when I was playing was my family and friends that I knew who are the people supporting me now are my family and a few friends that they're important. They'll that's, be rich that's as honor. At, at the end of it all, that's that's what you hope to <laughs> that's have. That's what you hope, yeah. I suppose the thankful thing, John, is there's no mention of sex in there. So. No mention of sex, friend, no. <laughs> <laughs> and funny, we were talking up here to say, tis a wonder it's not in it, but we, we, we did bring it up. I remember uh, just on a funny point, going back through the times, that we maybe we were ahead of our time, but back in the early days when I came in on the panel back in 88, 89, I can remember coming up to one of Doll Ireland's, must be in 88 or 89, and team meetings that time was out under the new stand let's say over in the huddle and uh, we're all mad to get in to have a shower because it's getting cold but uh, we're discussing training and getting prepared for the All-Ireland final and the next thing uh, one of the players asked about the question I think he was married at the time I, I, I won't quote anyone but <laughs> let's say he was married at the time to my knowledge and he asked the question should we be having sex between now and the All-Ireland final <laughs> <laughs> so I got a good bit of a laugh <laughs> oh, I'd say it did I'd say it did indeed on a much more serious note and with your other hat on you as a drug education officer with the HSE John yeah. is there a mental health aspect to this kind of commitment 
I believe there is, friend. I think we're putting players under extreme pressure because now if you look at the age bracket of players who are playing sport, right, and you look at, we are in here now, we have under say 17 development squads we have under 20 development squads we have panels being picked at this time of the year and looking at fewer playing in next year's championship and they're in now in November training two, three nights a week and having talked to some parents about this stuff you know that young persons they're there and they're asked to commit to the sport and also they have to study friend you know mm, education course, is important yeah. for these chaps and they have a, they want to have a career of some sort and to find a balance and the one thing about anything we do you know with all counselling all aspects of our mental health and our well-being we need balance friend and are we asking these young people with with the likes of these guidelines and that stuff you know there's no balance there in those chaps life and the one thing we don't see in it you know in this proposal where's rest Where's downtime? No mention of it no. there. Where's family time? Yeah. You know, and we have to be realistic. We all need that, friend. Like we, you know, I do a bit of training now in my own life and, you know, I need downtime. Mm. I need rest. I need to be with friends. I need to be with people that, you know, that are not probably in the same interests of what I have. We need all that. And that's all called, bad, and that's all called mental health. And if what happens is people will strive for that. But after a few weeks of doing that, what happened? You're tired of it. You're mental. You go down. You're not able for it anymore. And people think there's something wrong with them personally. I think that oh, I'm not able to cope. There's too mm-hmm. much. And now we have to throw in. You know, we're not putting in enough study. I'm sure parents are concerned about this. The young person loves their sport, female and male. They want to play in their county teams, but you have parents then trying to find balance for them. And there's an argument, and all that stuff comes, and that stuff that mm. we need to discuss. And are we really in touch with the reality of a young person trying to play? And are you surprised, John? Because, you know, we're much more knowledgeable about mental health. Of the 11 points, not one of them deals with that aspect of keeping yourself mentally healthy. And that's what would worry me, friend, that we're not thinking on the ground about the realistic and the reality of young people playing sport. It looks professional. All these training, and I often say this, friend, down through the years, and you look at commitment to... There's something there about fitness. Level fit or measure fitness for me, friend. You know, measure it. What? Where do we want our player to be? Where's the stop gauge? Where's when we have enough here? You know, and you take good young chaps to go to the gym and they're given the program. Just the good guys will overtrain. They nearly get, um, I suppose, obsessed with it, addicted yeah, yeah. to it. Like I think we covered that going back a couple yeah. of years ago as well. The addiction to sport is that where it's going to go. And if a player's not in that, you know, he's going to get burnt out and get tired. And now, you know, and that mm. even in that, there's no nutrition. There's no what, what should the player be? What's about sleep? We know sleep is very important for mental health as well, friend. No mention of that, like, you know. Because and it, it, tell me something, John, because it only struck me recently. We're, we're talking about the very highest level players here, I suppose. But if somebody is ends up not being on a panel for whatever reason, that could be devastating for them if they're dropped in some way. Is there any program around that that would help them to... Mm-hmm come to terms with that in some way? Or? Not that I'm aware of, friend. And, like, you know, they're left to their own devices. And I see that, like, with, when you are a player and you want to play and you make a panel, it's great and you have great times. But there's a lot of players out there. And I have seen it down through my time, friend, with players that I played with at club level that didn't go on to county for one reason or another but, and were dropped off a county panel. And no 
no backup support for that and that's happening more and more now young people are being brought into all these development squads and this is what we're talking about mental health that where is the support for these chaps and I and I think this is where the dropout will come is when they don't make um, these county panels or the panels and that, that they're left to their own devices and if they haven't support good family network around them other kind of things of interest in the point of view of other sports um, you know family yes. commitment hobbies whatever maybe they can be left in a very depressive state because then their friends are going off training. I know this; they're being picked up. They're left at home, and it's it, you know it's a hard place for a young guy who or a girl who just God, who is yeah. just not good enough, or the manager don't see him good enough. They may be good enough, but the manager, it's a lottery in there, you know. Yeah, because as you know, John, I'm a complete couch potato, so I'm just trying to get my head around this. But the kind of commitment to it would lead me to believe that some young young people are totally dedicated to this and if they are disappointed then yeah. as you say what else is there what else is there and what else is there if I say it if they don't have family support yeah. there's alcohol yeah. out there yeah. there's gambling gambling out yeah. there there's drugs out there now which has become the norm and they all affect our mental health as well which doesn't improve it but young people can turn to it in that context friend and then on top of that then they're in a worse state they give up altogether and I do believe you know with 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 alcohol, with gambling, with drugs and that people use their, lose their motivation and it's actually their life deteriorates in some context uh, we do say that with drink problems alcohol problems, drug problems, people can drink alcohol and get away with it, you know for long periods of time, going on life have their few pints, everything is going okay in their life, the same with gambling maybe the same with drugs They, you know, they can monitor for it, but when something traumatic happens in their life and that can be even being dropped off a county panel at a young age. That can be an injury. Those players are prone to injury if they're going to do excess training and that. And when that happens, that can have a huge negative effect on your mental health, friend. And what happens, you actually turn more into taking drink, turn more into taking that drug or turn more into taking gambling when that crisis happens in their life. And we don't talk enough about that. We have to be be very careful mm. in life with the well-being of a player who gets injured with the well-being of a player who's dropped off a panel <clears throat> because there are so many other options which aren't of, course, of a positive yes. nature. A listener wants your opinion on, the, on something and this is I suppose what you're talking about in terms of the way the sport can interfere with family life but seemingly the under 21 championship semi-final is scheduled for two weeks before Christmas so the final will be on Stephen's Day and this listener wondering what, what does John think of that? What do I think of that? I... I, I, in the big scale of things, I don't mind it because we are used to playing J at this time of the year. But what would uh, kind of we have conflicting messages come in the context that the J brought in something there about a, a split season um, yeah. this year or last year, whenever it's brought in. And my understanding of it at the time was that, you know, the whole club J matches would be over earlier. We wouldn't be playing at this time of year, that the game we played in the summer once the championships are finished in. June or July, say you have the hurling finished in June or July, whatever any of that time of year and we'll have July, August, September maybe October to run off all the, all, the, all the club championships that was my understanding of it we have a bit of downtime in November, December but here we are still playing and I remember when we had a great run in the club we were playing at this time of the year but there was no split season and the championship didn't finish the hurling didn't finish until September so there's an excuse now we're still in the same position as we were 30 years ago so I don't know Fran it's, it's, it's amazing if, if anybody is affected by any of what we've been talking about John we, would you tell me about what's available to them by way of support services well, look there's an awful lot when when we work in the area and this time of year I suppose Fran we're going into an area that 
you know, that uh, drink Christmas parties, you know, um, love, you know, and drink would be overindulged in. We are in the year that drugs, the likes of cocaine and other drugs, have become very acceptable in our society. Gambling is always an issue out there. And for the people, and we often say families as well, we must remember we're not just talking about the person who's in trouble with the drink or the drug or the gamble. Like families who are living with it need support as well and need a lot of help, friend. And we'll be saying that, you know, that there is support out there. Don't ever be afraid to pick up the call. And like, you know, I was saying, the service I work with, the HSE Substance Misuse Service. And I would say to anybody, give that service a ring. Uh, it's 052 And friend, you know, whether you think you have a problem or you think your son, daughter, family member, aunt, uncle, parent, whatever may have, ring and see what to say. And I do believe this, friend, with, with the alcohol and with issues like that. It loves um, secrecy and families kind of keep um, keep it within the family network. But until you start talking about it and sharing the experience, then you can go get help and then you can understand the problem more. I often see families present and they could... The, the issue with drink or drugs or gambling within the family could be going on a couple of years and until they decide and have the courage to take, mm. pick up that phone and ring then the start of the process of what we call recovery happens the silence is broken on about you get a, a view that's not um, I suppose emotionally attached to it um, you know you get somebody who's on the outside who's experienced it's their job, it's their professional ad and they know how to handle it and then this, the, the, the help starts but until that phone call is made, be, but it doesn't mm. have to be the person who's in trouble. And I would say with the person who is struggling and they're finding themselves that they're making little things, you say, plans themselves, I'm not going to drink during the week, I'll drink at the weekends. If they break those little disciplines, there's probably some little issue there with um, with alcohol. Go and try and suss it out right. and go and talk about and, and it. And to give hope to people listening, John, you would have seen, I suppose, in the most extreme situations, lives can be turned around, John. Totally, friend. Yeah. We must remember that, you know, that that people who start on, and I often say this, friend, until you start sharing a problem, people can, you know, then you can only address it. Don't try and deal with it in your own mindset. Don't try and deal with it within isolation. And don't try and deal with it with people who have similar, if you're a drinker and you're trying to share your problems with a drinker, it doesn't really work, friend. You know what I mean? We need to talk to people who are outside of that context. And people, there is, there always hope out there, you know, and the hope starts when you start talking. That's my belief. And you take from a mental health point of view, we must remember this as well, friend, that people think maybe they shouldn't have mental health issues um, if they're drinking or if they're taking different types of drugs like the cannabis or cocaine or ecstasy or benzos, whatever it may be, and take gambling that we should be feeling well. If you know these things uh, disimprove your mental health, we know that, so we need to look at that as well and address it. And people must remember when you're working with someone, you're asking them to give it up for the rest of their life, but you're asking them to take it out and let's see where the mental health issues let's see your form, let's see how you're feeling better without alcohol yes. or gambling. Yeah. But what happens now we're in the norm and people think that we should be feeling well, but yet their level of alcohol consumption might be too much. Mm-hmm. John is always fascinating and thank you so much for making time for us this no morning problem, John friend. always thanks good to see you and, and happy Christmas to and you many as happy well returns. we might see indeed. you before then we, we look forward to it John <laughs> thanks very much indeed. we'll take a break back in a moment Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage Puck On you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Padre Colbert is a regular contributor to the programme and he joins me now Padre good morning to you 
Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you uh, today. You have some very interesting thoughts on the role of social media in polarising and radicalising people. And I suppose this is in light of what happened in Dublin on, on Thursday, Podrick. Yes, friend. Um, it's like one of these things in life, you know, you sit, your, you sit there and you look around you and you say, God, you see, we said things you didn't expect to happen and you wonder, how did we get here? So... Thursday for me was one of those moments where you you looked at a level of violence and anger and, and that's apart from the, the horrible stabbing of, of the children and, and their carer um, but the horror of the, the the hatred afterwards, you know there were pe- people going into work in, in Hollis Street Hospital of, shall we say, different colour uh, were told, you know F off back home, what are you doing here? But these are health professionals, so how do, the question for me that's worth asking is how did we get here? So I kind of did a bit of a straw poll among family and friends and said, would you say that three or four years ago we were a more tolerant society or a less tolerant society? Was there more hate in our daily dialogue or is there less hate? And it's been kind of unanimous that this is a more intolerant society today and there's more hate in our, in our dialogue, whether it's on media or whatever. So how did we get here? And, and I think that's a really... If you if you are someplace you don't want to be and you, find, you figure out how you got there, mm. maybe you could figure out ways of travelling back. So for me, I don't think there's enough... We don't discuss as a society how we got to the kind of things that can happen on Thursday. And I, I don't want to talk about immigration because that's actually only one strand of anger mm. and there's lots of them out there. Mm. But if you look at how dialogue occurs, a lot of us now are experiencing our dialogue with other people on Facebook and other social media. But it's kind of important to understand how is that having an influence or not? And you can say, look, it's unrestrained. I can get onto your page, Fran, and say something horrible to you. Yeah. And you you can't punch me there and then. I've no real consequence. If I don't know you or you don't know where I live, I can get away with it. But that's that's a real micro opportunity for anger and for intolerance. What if you I don't know if you shop on Amazon, Fran, but what you'll notice is if you buy garden stuff, mm. uh, when you next time you go on Amazon, there'll be other garden stuff yes. because Amazon knows you like garden stuff. So it's a good sales thing to do. Now, Facebook operates on the same principle, and they, they admit this. They don't admit it. They actually say this is how it works. So if somebody on Facebook likes something, Facebook will give you more of that. So if you imagine in your life, if you can remember anyone telling you a story about someone and your view of them was very bad afterwards, what you heard, you know, you thought that's terrible that they mm. did that. Mm. Then somebody else tells you another fact, and you think, oh, well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have had such a bad view about what I was told first. So when we hear the other side of things, we tend to, if we're reasonable people, we tend to adjust Hmm. our feelings about something. How Facebook works, we'll say, for example, you and I are connected on Facebook. I put up an article saying um, everyone in Ireland should be born in Ireland, anyone else should be deported. Now, supposing for some reason you click like on that, Hmm. excuse me, Facebook then notes your your preference is the very same as Amazon says that you like gardening stuff. You will then get in your feed, when you open up Facebook, what's on your feed is not accidental. It's content that Facebook thinks you will like. So then the article that I put up that you liked, Facebook interprets is that you like that sort of stuff too. 
So you'll start getting more of that stuff. Um, that then will then shove out the opposite views. So if it was immigration, I put up an anti-immigration thing. You like that. You'll get more anti-immigration content from stuff your friends are posting, but also articles on yes. the sort of stuff. So, so your political stance, or what appears to be your political stance, would be fed constantly through the algorithm then? Yes, yes, exactly. And if you've taken a view on something, even if it's fairly reasonable and innocent, it will be so validated and so vindicated by only seeing the same opinion from everybody that you become deeper in that conviction and the whole idea of radicalisation then becomes possible. Yes, because and you could be forgiven for thinking then, Padraig, that the general consensus is your view, yes, if you know what I mean. Exactly, when you hear nobody else saying, I disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and it's not, it's not malicious by Facebook, it's how they get you to like going onto Facebook because you're going to see things that validate your views and make you happy because you always follow the GA on Facebook and you see lots of GA reports. But there's also the other side of it where the opinion and the sort of polarisation and all that also happens as well. And then there's an, an additional layer on there, and this is well established and it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's well established you now that manipulation of social media opinion uh, is is rampant. Mm. For example, a video went up on social media shortly after Thursday night showing the army on the streets of Dublin. Mm. Well, it was actually footage from a training exercise some yes. years ago. Yeah. But somebody deliberately put that up to say it's worse in Dublin than it is. And a lot of people, innocent people, would have looked at that and said, oh my God, the military are in charge of Dublin. What's happening? You know? Yes, and, and if you have, and I'm trying to choose my words carefully here now, but if you have, I mean, they describe them in Dublin as a feral youth, as disenfranchised young people, they're easier, I suppose, to manipulate then because they probably won't question a lot of what they're confronted with, Podrick, and then you have the result, I suppose, of what we saw. You do indeed, and, that, and that's right, friend. and there was a great programme on RTE last night about what happened in some of the contributors made the point that this is a multifaceted problem. Like there are people who are socially deprived who don't participate in the workforce and who have plenty of time on their hands mm -hmm. and are very easily riled up and a riot is great crack for them and the opportunity to steal a pair of runners is great crack for them. So, so there, there's a whole lot of things to it but I suppose that but they, they wouldn't, and I don't think I'm being unfair to them, but they wouldn't even have a concept of the spectrum of politics from left to right, if you know what I mean. They'll jump on any old bandwagon that they're drawn into. Absolutely, 100%. But the manipulators know that. Yeah. That's the thing. They are uh, a, a body of people who can be easily, and I'm not putting down their mental prowess or anything like that, I'm just saying, they, like you said, they, they wouldn't have a concept of left or right they wouldn't say I'm going right wing, but if they if they were you know influenced on social media to say in town we're going to do an important thing for the country, you know we're being you know immigrants are killing us and all that sort of thing, then they'll rise to that. And if somebody equally said you know the doll is um, is stealing all our money, they'll probably rise to that too. So the, the ability to manipulate is bad, but I suppose the concern I'd have, and when you get to my venerable old age, you you tend to think of. Where, where's the future here? And who, who I feel sorry for are, we said, our children and our children's children. That what society are we allowing our country to slide into? Will it be an intolerant, right-wing, you know, fundamentalist society that would be terrible to live in? 
And if we don't want that, what do we do? And I think the answer is in those children again. But our, I think our school curriculum lags behind society too far. So we have CSPE and all that, and I'm looking at the seven strands of it, but I don't see social media on there. Are children taught in school about that algorithm thing? Yes. Are they told to question? What, what well, you see, online? critical thinking is generally not taught in the schools, no. would you agree, Padraig? I'd absolutely agree. Yeah. And, uh, and on another topic, we say even the, the dangers of social media, you know, the bullying, like, you, I'm not saying you're my, you're a lot younger than me, but when we went to school, when you went home, you were on your own. Yeah. The, the yeah. If there was a bully in school, they couldn't reach you. But now your phone is on your pillow. Yes. So all of those IT things, are they taught in school as risks? You mm. know? The, the the pity about it as well, and I'm, I'm not speaking for you here, Padraig, this is my own uh, view on it, is that what you see happening then in Dublin by way of that awfulness and thuggery and all of that, it blinds us to a core challenge that's out there and that's our communities are accepting people in that we don't know about and there are fears out there and the genuine fears by genuine people and it, it sort of it, it it swamps discussion then does it not of of real issues it, it does it does and but again I think there's a degree of manipulation there and I'm going to call it out there's a degree of manipulation there the whole if somebody says to me and this is just my view Somebody says to me, putting 74 people into Cashel is the wrong thing to do because there aren't enough doctors, there aren't enough school places, or there aren't enough support services. There's nothing to do. I I think that's absolutely valid. Mm. If somebody says to me that because they're men, they're potentially rapists and we're all at danger, I think that is judgmental and racist. And there's no principle or law or statistic to support that view. And it might be genuinely held, but it's dangerous because it makes people feel fearful of migrants. I was a migrant for 13 years in another country, and I never experienced anything like what the people experienced in Dublin. That, that you know, there was an Indian bus driver on television last night. Mm. There was another um, migrant bus driver who was pulled out of the bus and saved by a man uh, before they burned his bus. That's not us. If that's not us, Fran, and. We've got to do something about that. And it starts with the conversations where people are saying they're firing migrants in on top of us. When a lot of the people who are commenting aren't impacted at all by that. A lot of the people who are up on chairs roaring and shouting, mm. you know, they have a house. Well, well, I, have I, I agree with you, but there are people with, with genuine concerns. And some of it is around yeah, just that, that vetting people coming in. At least you'd know something about their, their back. And, and I'm not saying from other countries. I mean, if 74 people from... From from Dublin were were imposed on yeah, John, John yeah, Street yeah. in Cashel. I I probably I there I probably hear about the same issues. You know what I mean, Patrick? Yeah. It's not a. Oh no, I think no, I think you're exactly right. I yeah. think you're exactly right. But I, I was interested to hear the minister say last night, and there was a junior minister, I forget her name. She said that they're all vetted, where they're more vetted than the Irish population. Now I. I find that hard to believe because I think a lot of people turn up so undocumented. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what she said is, you know, but no, I agree with you, friend, and I'm yeah. not trying to say that all migration is right. I think the government is absolutely cack-handed yeah. in the way they've done it. They're foisting large numbers of people. Ross Lair was represented last night. Yeah. They've been inundated. Yeah. They've had two waves. The first wave absolutely integrated perfectly, go to the same schools, everything's great. 
and then they sent another wave towards them that they're just not able to cope with and they're very reasonable accepting people yeah because so. last was it last Sunday night uh, no last Sunday night week I, I was actually doing a gig down in Wexford and afterwards you'd naturally enough be delighted to meet people and chat to them and normally it would be about the dance or it would be about yeah. bands or whatever but it was completely about what was happening in Ross Lair. And these were yeah. the most decent people you could ever meet, Patrick, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. And I'm not sure, was that fear justified? or was? But they certainly genuinely feel like that, you know. Yeah, and, and this is on the government. And this is the point yeah. I want to make. This is on the government. It's not on the people who've come here. Yes. And you might think, they're the bad people. They came here, they shouldn't be here. The government... created the housing shortage. The government put 10,000 people of our own people into emergency accommodation and and, and into homelessness. They did that. I wouldn't say they did it deliberately, but they allowed it to happen. They didn't fix that, and now they're making an absolute hames Mm. of the integration of, of refugees. So, like, mm. but it's not the people arriving. Some of the people arriving are arriving fraudulently. They're coming here from countries like Georgia, where stable democracies where the prison population yeah. is many bigger than ours per capita. There's nothing really wrong there systemically, but they're coming here for economic opportunity. They should be on their heel, turned, and put back out. But there are they they shouldn't be or the genuine refugees coming from war torn countries shouldn't be tired with and, that. And that's, that's all I think ordinary people are looking for, is that sort yeah. of adjudication of who, who's coming in. Can I just uh, finish with one point with you, Padre? Um, are you appalled to see what's happening in the Netherlands, for example? The, you know, the really unsuspected rise of the right there, so much that uh, a right-wing party will now uh, lead the government possibly in the Netherlands. Is that... Yeah, uh, and look again. It's I think it's a symptom, friend, yeah. because yes, it's the very how... same thing as here. It's it's housing and it's immigration. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, the view of being unhappy with the, whatever about right or left, the view of being unhappy with the government is justified on so many grounds in Holland and here. In America, we also have the Democrats, kind of pro-Irish or whatever. They were the Republicans swelled into you know, into their numbers because of perceived, you know, inadequacies, veterans not being able to get proper care, people begging on the sides of the roads. That all happened under the Democratic Watch. So it does, like, if you see a right-wing or fundamentalist thing start to happen, look at the root causes. Don't look at what happened and how people voted. Look at how it happened. And that's what I'm saying again about the hatred and the Mm. polarisation and and all of that. Look at why this is happening and deal with the underlying, including the deprivation of the people that were involved in the the right. Look at the root causes. Deal with them. And don't be just talking about the symptoms all of the time. Padraig, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and have you on the programme. Thank you so much for that this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fred. Good morning to you. That's uh, Padraig Colbert. And Padraig is a very frequent uh, contributor to uh, the programme. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Huge response to John Lahey this morning. One of our listeners says, thanks for bringing up that point, Fran. Devastating when they're dropped after all of that commitment. Having been there has been a negative effect on all of our family. Thank God we've moved on now, but all good. Excellent interview and discussion with uh, John. And another listener says, Fran, my son was dropped off the minor panel on Monday night. We got the call, just cutthroat treatment 
As parents, we were and are worried sick about him. He lives day and night with a hurley and a schlitter in his hand. He was told to keep trying. It's terribly upsetting. Such a sporting young fellow. He has the fight in him to prove them wrong and prove himself that he can do it. Please don't mention my name as there was only six dropped this week. So, uh... Uh, lovely to hear John speak as well as says, my God. Now, the story of the riots in Dublin has made news globally in recent days since the attack last Thursday. And it's, it's interesting to get an international interpretation of what's happening here. Um, here's how the incident was discussed on the Tucker Carlson uh, video cast. Now, just to remind you, if you don't know who Tucker Carlson is, he was a very high-profile presenter on Fox uh, Fox News before his contract was terminated. He now hosts um, a Tucker on Twitter, or Tucker on X, as it is now, and he spoke about it on his show with Steve Bannon, who is a political commentator and worked on the Trump administration as a chief strategist. So just keep in mind, this is kind of coming from, from right-wing um, thinking, I suppose. But anyway, it's interesting to have a listen to this. Several days ago, a man in his 50s, for reasons that are still not clear, stabbed five people outside a school in Dublin, Ireland, including three children. And then almost immediately after, parts of that city erupted into rioting. What exactly is going on here? Well, the Washington Post stepped in, helpfully, to explain. And here's the tweet the Washington Post sent out. Quote, Online rumors claimed the perpetrator of a stabbing attack was an immigrant. The BBC found that the man was an Irish citizen who had lived in the country for 20 years. Police blamed, quote, a lunatic faction driven by far-right ideology for the riot in Dublin. That was the Washington Post's explanation. But actually, the man was an immigrant. He was from Algeria. And as it turns out, he's been living in Ireland for 23 years at public expense. He has never had a job. And then last week, unaccountably, he stabbed children. Well, many people in Ireland are absolutely sick of this. It's happening by design. That country has been completely transformed by immigration. It's not the Ireland you remember at all. And going forward, anyone who complains about that or questions government policy will be guilty of a felony. The new hate speech laws are coming to Ireland. No complaining about it. And of course, it's not just Ireland. It's across the West. What does this mean? What is happening here? And what's the right response to it? We thought it'd be worth talking to Steve Bannon. He's the host of War Room. It seems like Ireland's, a, of course, a small country, an island uh, in Western Europe, but it seems like this is kind of a, a, almost a metaphor for what's happening across the West. What do you make of the rioting there and the government's response to it? Well, look, you've been to Hungary. You know, Viktor Orban has led this fight for years and um, has tried to get his country, the sovereignty of it, to stay away from what's happening in Germany and places like Ireland. Ireland's probably one of the worst, if not the worst, because the political class has totally sold out the people. You know, they've had, I think, 125,000 immigrants in the last year. That That is the same equivalent if all of Joe Biden's 9 million illegal alien invaders here in our country all came within one year. That's, that's, what, that's the impact it's had on Ireland. And they're all on the public dole. There's been 100,000 Ukrainians in what, the 18 months or 20 months since the war started, 100,000 Ukrainians all on the public dole, all paid for uh, out of the Irish budget. Now, some of that money is given by the EU, but the Irish politicians are by far the worst that are bought off uh, by the EU. They're the biggest globalists. They've sold out the sovereignty of, of the Irish. And you're seeing a natural blowback, and you're really seeing it among working-class people in the cities, Irish nationals, Irish citizens, 
whose family have been there for generations and generations and generations and have nothing to show for it, and also in the rural communities. So Ireland is a powder keg, and I think what you saw the other day in the response by the Garda, the response by the authorities was immediately to go after Conor McGregor and other folks who were saying, hey, we need to address this. We need to, your, your, your proclamations are no longer good enough. We need to see a plan of action because there's been enough of these, um, these immigrants' attacks on, on citizens, including a year ago. Uh, where there was, a, I think, a murder of a, a school teacher uh, by an immigrant. So the Irish people, I think, have had a belly full of it. But you're seeing this is this is across the West, and it started with a mass uh, immigration. Now that's uh, very interesting. Do keep in mind uh, where that's coming from politically, but it's interesting to hear that interpretation of what's happening here in Ireland. And uh, just to remind you that Tucker Carlson's show on Twitter—I mean, that is huge, multi, multi millions of uh, viewers watching that all over the time. Anyway, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Very welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Uh, that free phone number. 1800-938-007 if you want to chat to Emma you can text in WhatsApp 083 you can email tip today at tipfm.com now it was at Fitzpatrick's Country Club in Clanmore on a Sunday night and John was telling me that the Bournet uh, Reaching Out Historical Society book launch is happening there on this coming Friday night. It's at uh, half past eight. There will also be a video showing of Clonmore Historical Drive as well. The books will be available on the night and from this coming Saturday they'll be available all over the place. The Norbrook Lounge, Mulrooney's Gala Shop in Ross Grey, um, Carroll Centre, Circle K in Ross Grey and Centenary Lauren uh, Farm Store and all around the place basically. But if you want to make your way along to uh, Clonmore and uh, to Fitzpatrick's on Friday night. I would imagine that'll be a great night there for the book launch. That'll be joined now by Jody. Jody, good morning to you. Good morning to your friend. Lovely to talk to you again, Jody. You were listening to, to John Lahey earlier on. You were impressed by what you heard from him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely, Fran. He spoke so much common sense, yeah. which is not prevailing at the moment in the GAA. Now, like John, when I read all these rules and what they were trying to uh, are, are wanting to bring in I said uh, this is a prank you can't be, this can't be right this yeah. can't be true and whatever and as I read down through them I said oh my god what is this and then to find out yes it is true and whatever like I mean Fran as John said family comes first mm. and that is so true and whatever secondly um, the, the, you know is there any there's nobody within the hierarchy of the GA that are bringing out these rules are thinking of the youngsters' mental health. Mm, you know, yeah. and it's... And Joe so, made you know, that point, Jody. Yeah, know, absolutely. So. And I mean, friend, you know my view on the mental health in mm, this country. Yeah. It's just deplorable, absolutely deplorable. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I was... A, I, I am a mother of two sons and two daughters that played smoggy and hurling and football and soccer and rugby and all of the different games going here, there and everywhere all over the country with the children, dropping them here, there and everywhere for training, this, that and the other thing. What has, what's gone wrong with our society that 
it's, you know, it's no longer about taking part. It is win, win, win at all odds, at all costs. They don't seem to care how they do, you know, they don't seem to be thinking of the, you know, of mm. the children and, and especially the youngsters that are dropped like boom, bang, like that yeah, baby. Funny that enough, that was the comment that's been picked up on from yeah. the conversation that uh, they're literally dropped. There's no support yeah. services for them. No, and it true. may be the case, Jody, that this was their entire life. This was their passion and, you know. Absolutely, friend, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, these youngsters and are amateurs. They're not professionals. Mm. They're not getting paid. A lot of them are coming from their college on a train or the parents are picking them up for training yeah. and driving them back again. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is huge commitment without all of this. They can't do this, they can't do that, they can't, you know. Yes. Uh, they'd really want to cop on, friend. Really, that's, I'm, I'm really getting annoyed, and more just annoyed for by people, the minute. For people who didn't see the 11 um, uh, requirements, just just to yeah. give you some of them, uh, no holidays during the championship uh, period, yeah, June to crazy. October, unless approved by management and the leadership group. It all sounds very <laughs> military-like. Uh, no drinking during the championship. Um, unapproved drinking means suspension or removal yeah. from uh, the panel. There's also mm-hmm. mandatory attendance and fitness test markers, um, yeah. logging of all acti- activity on the app. And and this one's interesting. Commitment uh, by the team to lead the team fundraising activities and to players' training fund thereafter. Yeah. So as well as all of the commitment to the game and to training, they have to be in the pubs and clubs to, to raise money. Uh, you know, it's it's just uh, whoever I don't know, friend. I would just like to get to to to, to meet that person or those people that are are putting out these uh, rules and regulations. Because for one, you know, each day we're losing another little bit of our heritage. What's going to happen now is people are not going to youngsters are not going to even bother turn yeah. up for training. They're, they're going to drop out. They're not going to, and then we're going to lose our national game of our hurling, our football, and our camogie. Right, so what have the youngsters? I mean, youngsters get out on the pitch. They love to to train. They love to do to play in a match and whatever. But that's going to be taken away from them mm. by the, these rules and silly. All oh, I'm going what to say, did you make, Jody, rules. What did you make, Jody, of number ten, which is no other sporting commitments past no. June? Soccer, golf, rugby, athletics, etc. Uh, yeah, we're, they're they're trying to go back to the old days where if you played hurling, yeah, yeah the band. Yeah. If you played hurling, you can play soccer or that foreign game or any of those games. That is absolute ridiculous. You know, it's just ridiculous, Fran. Absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, at the end of the day, John Lahey is a superb, he was a superb player and yeah. he is fantastic role for the, you know, model for yeah. the youngsters with his addiction uh, counselling and all of the different things he does, which is brilliant and whatever. More like John Lahey should be brought in to you know, to, mm. to mentor these youngsters and whatever, because if you're dropped off a team, oh my God, you're just left and that's it, and goodbye, tough, mm. you weren't good uh, enough. As but I look, say, it was a sort of, it was just a small part of our conversation, but it's the one that was picked up on, and a couple of mothers in particular on to me to say that, yeah. you know, recently uh, their their kids were dropped and yeah. you know, just got a phone call out of the blue to say. And they don't, they don't yeah. even give you an explanation half the time, they just say, dropped goodbye and dropped the phone on you. It's just, I, friend, you know, as I said, I drove 
all over Ireland with my lads uh, hurling training or we're saying going to matches this that and the other thing and you know at the end of the day you want you do all you want to all any mother or father wants to do is to see their kids happy and content and within the games they play and whatever but this is just putting such a wedge now within factions of the GA it's just it's mm. just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous now we're know? understanding we don't know exactly what club this is it's not in Tipperary by the way we, we don't know exactly what club this is but I presume that this would have had to be run by a county board had to be yeah absolutely absolutely Fran you know um, as I said I'm going back to my statement again it's all about winning now it's not about taking part anymore it's about win go out there and win and go out there and win at any cost, you know. And that's not fair. It's going to be to the cost of the youngsters' mental health and physical health, not on. Right, so a lot of nonsense as far as you're concerned. Oh, oh, absolutely, Fred. Nonsense isn't the word for it and whatever, you know. Uh, Secondly, can I just pass on my sympathies to um, the families of the, 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 the child the children and the care care worker yeah. in Dublin, it's just so horrendous. So Jody, horrendous. It, yeah. And yeah. Fran, I have said to you numerous times on the radio, I'm sorry, but the politicians live in another land. They live in another world. They're you know and whatever. They this was coming down the line for so so long. They just did not take any notice of it. They just piled them in and piled them in, people in and whatever. And now people are just. In, in uproar. Now, I, I condone com, uh, completely the violence and the looting and all of that in Dublin. That's not on, it's not right and whatever. But my stance on this is we'll have to go like America. All, the youngsters that are doing all of this damage around Dublin and the whole lot, send them into the army first, didn't like they do in America. So you're talking about you zero, zero, toler- zero, zero tolerance, tolerance on this. Absolutely yeah. zero tolerance. Send them into the army and... Um, Make men out of them because now they're getting, they're going into the courts. The guards are doing a, a great mm. job getting them into the courts. The listers, uh, getting uh, d- uh, defending them. Prose- the prosecutor trying, uh, prosecuting um, solicitors trying to 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 um, get punishment for them. And the judges are giving them a tap in the hand and say, "Off you go now." They could have a hundred convictions and they're still let go. There's no sense or meaning to that, friend. And are you, know? you saying to me, Jody? because a lot of people are making this point, that what happened in Dublin on Thursday night was predictable. I mean, you know, people yeah. have said it here on this programme yeah, yeah, that it yeah. needed one event for this to kick off yeah. in some way unless it was dealt with by the government. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you, you go along with that. Oh, I would, absolutely. And there's very little being said about the person that did the stabbing, you know, and, you know... I don't know, and maybe it's not fair to quote, but, you know, what's it, what happened with him? You know, what, what, you know, has he mental health problems that he didn't get looked after? You, you see, it's all, it's all just a can of worms and it has now exploded and, you know, they have to now mm. try and quail yeah. it and whatever because, as I said, Fran, it's the younger, the younger ones of 12, 13, 14, they won't get any, any punishment for what they do. You know what I mean? And do you think at this point, I mean, uh, the guard commissioner, has he to consider his position? And what what about the, the minister, Helen McEntee? Look, as somebody said on the television last night, changing the minister is not going to, it's not going to, to, to do much now. They need action, you know, and whatever. Helen McEntee, 
look at I would I would put out I think I would sack the whole lot of them mm. Fran mm. not alone her I'd sack the whole lot of them because at the end of the day there's people coming into Ireland that have no passports they have they're not vetted they're not you know so mm. no, I didn't see that programme last night you're referring to but did, did not uh, was it Pippa Hackett was on it uh, did they not say that there is vetting going on was that not said uh, on that programme last it, night they, Fran you know and I know that there is a a huge amount of people coming into Ireland that are unvetted. And they are just getting through the loop. I don't know where they're getting through. I was in a taxi in Dublin. I'd take my mum to Beaumont Hospital uh, there uh, last year. And one of the taxi drivers told me that he got a call from the HSC to go pick up a family in the airport in Dublin. Off he went to drop them at the health centre, a health centre in Dublin, to pick up their keys for their house. And... They have very little, very little English. Only the dad had a bit of English, and uh, uh, the taxi driver said, "Why do you come to Ireland? Oh, my brother, ring me, tell me, come to Ireland, everything free here. We get everything free. Free house, free furniture, free hospitals, free doctors, free everything. So we came. No, he wasn't from a war-torn country." But you see what that. I mean? But, but I mean that's not entirely true because you know we see the situation in Cashel where there was going to be seventy four of the you know yeah. males into you know limited accommodation, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's not entirely true. But but you're saying the general gist of that is that's the way people are thinking. Is that is that? Well, it is. Well, this is now. This is what the taxi driver told me. This exactly yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. And and he said, and that is what's happening. One family member arrives, and next thing. Next week, the following, another family member arrives, another family. Now, friend, at the end of the day, Ireland's only a small country. It's, you know, we, you know we, we're not able to look after our own. And my grandmother always said, charity begins at home. Look after your own turf. And do you and think that what happened in Dublin, Jody, the rioting and, and the like, and the response to the rioting, is that covering up what is the core conversation, which would reflect people's fears and the challenges around looking after Absolutely. people. Yeah, I think so. Too. I, th- I think so, Fran. Now, as I said before, I don't condone what they what they did and the far right and all this and whatever. But, I mean, it was played out now. Personally, I'm not on Facebook much anymore because my accounts got hacked and whatever, so yeah. I just said, oh, good luck. So, um, but Jimmy now is on Twitter and he was saying, you could see it the whole day. It was the whole time, you know, looking for people to come, come, yeah, come. Was, yeah. Down to Dublin, down, you know, this is going on, that's going on and whatever. And at the end of the day, Fran, people are absolutely up to their tonsils with, with, with the government, the country, the way everything is going. And I mean, it's just so, so sad. That's all I can say, it's sad. All right, you Jody. Know, well, really, really good to anyway. talk to you. And you, you look after yourself, anyway, Jody. Thanks very much indeed. Not about Thank the you. friend. Thank Thanks you. a million. Bye bye. Bye bye. You know, that's Jody speaking to us this morning. Uh, Jackie is in Cashel and says, "What's wrong with uh, society? Is there's absolutely no respect? We're living in a society where the mindset is: I'll say what I like, I'll do what I like, and uh, f the lot of you. Mental mindsets have become very, very unhealthy. Uh, God help us if changes are not made for the better." Instead of holding phones in your hands recording, hold a candle in your hands and pray for peace like you never prayed before. Absolutely horrific the way things are going, says Jackie, who's in Cashel today. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Alyssa says, good God, Fran, give it a rest. Uh, do keep in mind where that is coming from. That piece on the Tucker Carlson show is 100% what has happened in our beautiful country. Government and media has ruined our country. Yeah, I made that point just so that listeners will be aware what angle it was coming from. I think it's very important to point that out. Do you know what I mean? And then people can make up their own mind whether they agree or disagree. But I mean, I didn't want to mislead people in some fashion either. Make up your own mind. People are intelligent enough to make up their own mind. Richie is with me. Good morning to you, Richie. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. You were listening to that piece from uh, Tucker Carlson uh, as well. What, What did you make of it, Richie? I thought it was very accurate of the description in what's happening to our lovely country. I think the man was spot on. And the last lady that was on speaking to you a few moments ago, till that end of her conversation, she was fairly right mm. on her viewpoint also. And if we keep viewing the same uh, viewpoint that this is a powder keg ready to go, people are branded as far right, and in a couple of months' time, we'll be told we're breaking the law and we could be in jail for expressing how we feel about our country. I think it's time for actor and Martin actually went. They have destroyed our country. Um, mm. uh, people are absolutely fed up of it, like, you know. What, um, what did you think when you saw what was happening in Dublin following that awful tragedy of, of the kids being attacked? What did you think about that, Richie? I, I was just devastated, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, I... I um, I only heard about the stabbings probably about an hour after it happened, and I went, oh, my God. And I said to my wife and family here, my God, I said, the crap is going to hit the fan. I said, something's going to happen. And then that night... And that was your immediate reaction? It was my immediate reaction. I said, it's going to hit the fan tonight. It's going to happen. And it happened, you know? And I gave, during the course of that evening, watching... um, live stream after live stream mm. you know yeah. I must watch 35 40 videos of live streams and the one thing I keep going back to how did these people manage to find stuff to actually you know put the guard cars on fire that these guard cars were left um, unprotected by the guard they were left unlocked the mob could do what they wanted you know it, it it's crazy like most guards would probably lock their vehicle go attend something and not be leaving the car wide open you know and but the impression that crazy. the commissioner gave Richie that you know they were taken by surprise where this is concerned as you say your no, immediate no, no, reaction no, was this is going to trigger something oh absolutely they're they're more probably more intelligent than what I am they know full well this was going to happen Absolutely, they knew. You can't keep bringing in people into a country with no passports and let them go about their business and go stabbing people or beheading people in this country. Like, you know, uh, the crimes that they're out committing is horrendous. Like, we have an awful lot of people that came to this country and over the last 20 years, they've integrated fantastic with the Irish people, the socialise with the Irish people. We've had a, a certain minority coming in. They just want to take over. You know, and no one minds uh, genuine asylum seekers coming into the country to seek help. But we're getting an awful lot of welfare tourists coming in, like the last lady said, um, with a taxi driver there, his experience. And I've heard that my story myself more than once, how similar things on why are you here? Oh, everything is free, you know. 
and it is free on the backs of the Irish taxpayer. And I'm sure people out there are very. I, I, I just want to point out that I'm always careful about storage it here in a taxi if you know what I mean like, oh, oh yes yes I, I would yeah, but yeah. I'm not just saying that is true but yeah. it seems to be a similar story stored up in in every direction from people who yeah. are in the know as to say who are in the business and they will tell you like I only took a taxi myself less than two weeks ago and a similar story was told about someone in the very same situation who wanted to give up their part-time job to go back on full-time welfare because he was an immigrant he could get more than what the Irish person would qualify for, you know. But back to that night, I was absolutely disgusted. And I, I really was disgusted and taken back by it that the city was just rampaged the way it was. It, it was disgusting. I think a lot of people would agree. And these young kids. And, and do you think the pity about it is that, you know, all that awfulness that happened is a smokescreen to what the discussion should be about, I suppose. Is, is that fair it, to say, it, Richie? It, 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 I would think so. I think right now, if if the government were really to do their job right now, I think it has to come down to um, um, collecting of people and start deporting people who are coming with no paperwork or documents. But, you know, we have no problem with ordinary people coming in. Some to contribute to the society, let them be a doctor, a nurse, an engineer, something. Not people that are going to come here and sit on the dole for years and years and do nothing, you know. They can't have everything handed to them. We, if we go to another country and we want to live there, we have to turn up with a passport. we got to know their rules, their regulations, what, what we are allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. And you go, right, OK, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. But these people are coming in and are living like as if they're still living in their own country. And they have no respect for the Irish or the culture. I mean, only recently I was in Waterford City and I walked down the street that I knew very well that I actually lived on it once and there wasn't one word of English being spoken. Not one. And I'm sure a lot of people would say that about parts of Dublin being the same way. And, and when you express your feelings, you're nearly targeted as being some kind of a racist. But that's what Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael want to do with their hate speech. This is what they want. A few months' time, if they're bringing this law, maybe this conversation between me, you and the listeners could be over because I'd be branded as probably a far right or something for not supporting the government. The government has left down every citizen in Ireland. And under the Constitution, it does say all persons should be treated equal. We don't need these new hate crimes. They're not needed, you know. And your fear there is, as you said so eloquently, that, you know, it will stifle conversation in, in, in some way. That's that's the fear. Can I ask you, Richard, yeah, in, they, they in, your, in, in your circle of friends, um, yes. w- would you be reflective of the general thinking? I mean, what you're saying to me, would that be generally what you're hearing from? Well, yes, uh, I, I would agree. And even amount about you're bumping into people in your shop and whatever, and the conversation might strike up, especially with women. They're now afraid to even go out in the evening to walk their little dog or to go out to even walk to exercise. They're afraid. They're afraid of all these young men that are coming in with no wives or girlfriends or anything like that. And to even put it blunt, and maybe some people might like it, if they can't get a woman of their own, they're going to take one. And they're going to hurt Irish women at the end of the day. These well, we, 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 we don't know that, though, because like it's a very tiny minority but, of people who... Oh, it's would... a ti- yes, but we need to start looking at who's coming into the country. 
if you don't have a passport, you're not here for legitimate reasons, they have to be turned away. And that's what's happening in this country. It's It's been overrun now, you know, and it's probably a, a matter of time where the Irish way of things will have to be changed to suit the foreign people that are coming in, such as the name Garda might have to be made redundant going into the future and may have to call them police because it's upsetting to somebody in the PC world that we're now living in, you know? So that's your fear that there there will be cultural changes as well to accommodate people. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, I, I would say so. If we come down that mm. way, the, the can I play? Can I play? Can I play devil's advocate with you for a moment? Oh, absolutely, and yeah. can I say to you, would that be such a bad thing? Would, would you know? Maybe. Well, I wouldn't like to see the end of the Irish language. I wouldn't like to see the end of Irish dancing, the end of an Irish pub, mm. um, the end of anything Irish, because Ireland does belong ah, yeah, to the I Irish. Don't, I, don't think that, the I don't think that's... It, that's in Watertown, we have over 20% now, which is over 1 million um, people in the country mm. of, of, of foreign things. Like, like I said, again, I have no problem with legitimate people. Mm. It's the undocumented have to go. And all that Farrakhan wants to do is arm the Gardaí. He wants more equipment, more everything, but yet he won't address the problem in the room mm. of unvetted uh, men. Even, even though we, we saw on Thursday night that God knows the Gardaí need more equipment. So, I mean, we had to borrow water cannons, for God's sake, from the north. Just, you know, We did, which is an absolute shame. That was never, yeah. ever and it never, ever should be used on an Irish yeah. street. Never should it be used. I remember back in the days of the water protests, right? The guards just loved wailing on the people back at that time. It was one of the guards who weren't soon for Tennis Elbow. They were beating the crap out of people the whole time. But yet Irish people stayed peaceful. They didn't raise one hand to the government over the, the water thing. But I do remember one day being in Kildare Street, playing clothes guardy got out of their vehicle, entered into the crowd. They were the ones that went up to provoke the crowd on that occasion, rattling and shaking barriers and giving abuse to other Gardaí. When people knew they were playing close Gardaí, they do the walk of shame back to their Garda car and go away with, with themselves. So what I'm saying is well careful for the government to, to instigate any route when they want. I'm not saying it's done on this occasion, but the Gardaí are, are really working for the government here. On, on everything. And, and oh, well, in, in, in fairness to the Gardaí, I mean, their job is to apply law and order and their job is to, you know, follow instruction from, from Garda management and from the commissioner and all of that. And that's that's what the on the on, on the, the, the beat Gardaí are doing, I suppose. Uh, Richie, really good to talk to you today and thank you indeed. Thank you for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Good Thank morning you. to Bye you. Bye. That's uh, Richie. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Helen was on to say, when my granddaughter's passport had to be renewed because I'm her legal guardian, she needs an emergency passport. Um, it was a terrible hassle to get it and both guardians had to be uh, present at the passport office for her to get a flight and then it depended on the airline if she could fly with her aunt who was not a guardian. So it's some joke. Um, can't get out. No bother getting in, says Helen. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tom is in Temple Moor and he says, I agree completely with uh, John Lahey. Um, the GAA are pretty gone like the far left. Uh, want to control every aspect of our lives. Unfortunately, our government in Doyle are moving dangerously to the left, a socialist left-wing state. Uh, it's ironic that the media is blaming the recent Dublin riots on the far right, wanting to ban right-wing as evil, which is rubbish. Right of centre is a legitimate political uh, position. The little drugged-up guriers were only out for trouble and to loot. They had zero political standing, so the media should call it as it is. And that's in from Tom in Templemore today, 1800. 938007. Now, you may have heard the ads running on television and radio to promote the shingles vaccine, but many people might not be aware that far from being a free vaccine, it costs 500 euro because there's two, two injections involved, and I think it's 250 um, each. It's not available on the medical card, but there's no doubt that for anybody who has suffered from shingles, it's a very, very painful and debilitating condition indeed. My good friend Michael Egan joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. And great to talk to you, Michael. I think there is a general tendency for people to think that shingles, ah, yeah, it, it can be a bit sore and a, a bit of a rash and stuff, but it can be far more debilitating than that, Michael. It can indeed, Fran, and I suffered dreadfully from shingles. Actually, I, I, I got them in um, February of 2019, and I can safely say that uh, I felt comfortable with them the following September. But in between that time, the pain was absolutely dreadful. And I started off in a way that I didn't, I didn't think, I always thought that shingles started with a rash or some bit of a rash, but yes. in my case, it, it, it didn't. Uh, I remember well, it was on a, on a Sunday evening, I think it was the last Sunday evening in, in February of, of 2019, and I was sitting at the table and I felt this tingling effect in, in the, my wrist and my left hand, and it seemed to move slightly, rather quickly, and, and was gone. And then after a while, it came back again. And I took no notice of it. I mentioned the point what had happened, and uh, we took no more, no more notice of it after that. But then on Monday, it happened again and lasted maybe a little bit longer. So I contacted the medical centre in Clock Jordan and went over there on the Tuesday and uh, was thoroughly examined by the doctor. And she just said, in in case that she's single, she gave me... Uh, a, a tablet to take. Mm. And that was grand. Nothing happened then for about two or three days. And then the rash appeared in my arm. Um, not painful, but visible. Mm. A little bit uncomfortable. And then after a while, maybe another two or three days, it started to spread. And it spread under the the muscle of my arm and from there onto my chest and then onto my back. And then it it it, it, became, it it became itchy and painful at the same time. So it, it was kind of a, a catch twenty two. If you went about dealing with the itch, it increased the pain. My God! And, and how, then, how painful, Michael? Do you know way I can describe it? Friend, after a while, and I, I remember in in or about the sixth or seventh of March, 
uh, I, I was sitting in, in, in the, below in the kitchen one, one evening and I thought someone had set fire to my back. It happened quite suddenly. I felt, again, this sensation in my wrist, which more or less shot up through my arm and into my shoulder blade and it was just like a tingling pain at the time. Okay. And then I thought some, I really thought someone had set fire to me. I'll never forget the pain where I live. And I, I had about five or six episodes of this dreadful pain before it eventually decreased. And I would be on the, the, the point of passing out or fainting with the pain when it, when it would start to ease off a bit. And it would last for about, oh God, it seemed like eternity, but I, I suppose half a minute or maybe right. two quarters of a minute. Right, but, but during that time, it was yeah. dreadful. Very sharp pain, yeah. So I interrupted you. You were about to say that after the rash, what happened then, Michael? Uh, after the rash uh, started, uh, sorry, of which days now, Fran, uh, at the do, very beginning of the do, rash? Or? Yeah, well, you, the rash spread. That's my understanding of what, what you said to me. What what other symptoms were you, were you having at that point then? Well, it was just a, a, an itch and, and pain. Yes. And with the pain, I, I found that if I kept my arm pressed very tightly to my size, uh, it, it helped to alleviate the pain. But, for example, walking was very painful. Uh, there's no way I could shave at the time, and even to the present day when I shave on, on the left side of my face, I can feel the, the single sensation going down to, through my neck and into my shoulder. And this is four but years on. This, I still have it, and even as I speak, I have it in my shoulder blade this morning. My God. Um, it's, it's bearable, some days it can be as severe as if you had, uh, if you got that bad nettle stains. Mm. And then in other days it would be, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it. it. It wouldn't be as bad, but I'm always conscious of it being there. And I dread sometimes now, particularly if, if there's rain on the way, it, it can get fairly painful, not dreadful now or anything. Mm. Mm. But at that time, if someone touched me on the shoulder, I'd, <laughs> I, I, I'd feel, you know, <laughs> you'd feel like jumping if you weren't expecting. There was someone caught me by the left arm just around the muscle, even to the present day. Uh, it sets off this sensation of pain. So was that sensitive? Very sensitive, yes. So I, even shaving to the present day, as, as I said, I can feel it on the left-hand side. And and do you I, find, I, Michael, when you discuss it with people, they they don't really have an idea as to how debilitating it can be. You know, as I say, we all have the impression it's a bit of a rash and you get over it. Yeah, and that's what I thought, then as well. And I, I've met an awful lot of people in the meantime that have um, contacted singles, and some of them would say they only had it for a couple of days and more would say that it's gone in no length of time. And others would... Uh, you'd meet the odd one, all right, where it, it you know, prolonged for a, a considerable length of time after the rash disappeared. Mm. But uh, I, I was trying to look it up myself to know is how long does it last or is it unusual to last? And uh, from what I could see on, on the, the internet, it's unusual to have it last this long, but not unknown to happen. And, and were you unwell at the time? In other words, was your immune system down, Michael? Or I mean, I'm just wondering why why you got it at that particular time. I think 
on reflection, didn't realise at the time, but I was under an awful lot of stress. Mm. Uh, I, I was, as you know, I was involved in suicide bereavement. Of course. And I, 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 did find, I didn't realise until I actually retired from that, that how much stress I was under, because it was something on, on my mind day and night mm. from the time you got up in the morning until you went to bed at night, you were thinking about some person that had contacted you and the trauma they were going through and the, the and the pain. And you were thinking at the time that you were dealing with that, but you weren't dealing with it sufficiently, if you know what I mean, yes. uh, to be And I, I think that was uh, what caused it, because they do say that, that stress can bring on shingles. And just for listeners, no. of course, you were founder of Living Links, uh, providing solace and uh, indeed a listening ear to, to families who were bereaved by suicide, Michael. And I can imagine the trauma of listening to those stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, find some of those, those people, what they went through. Uh, and I often thought afterwards, like, I, I went through shingles and, and got to mostly the other side of it. But for those poor people, it's, it's there with them for, for their lives. You know, it's it's a desperate, horrible uh, thing to happen to any family. Uh, but I, it was only when I I retired, maybe or maybe a month or two after that, that I realised how much pressure, uh, and not just me, but anyone involved yeah. in in bereavement, want to feel that pressure uh, to there all the time. I'm not saying that's the only thing that caused singles. Mm. Mm. It could have been something else because. I I believe now that they are contagious. So I could have been in contact with someone that had shingles. And maybe my immune system at the time was that uh, a low ebb, uh, which enabled shingles to take hold at the time. Yes. So it, it, it's very difficult to know. And what do you make um, of this um, promotion of the fact that there is a vaccine aware? Now, it, it seems to be the pharmaceutical company who was actually promoting it, but it costs €500 Euros because there's two injections uh, required, €250 Euros each. It's not available on the medical card and uh, the like. Um, should that be available to people, do you think, that vaccine? I think it's true to friend because, to be quite honest, if it gets shingles quite bad, the pain is unbearable. It really is unbearable, and it's something you never, ever forget. Uh, the extreme, horrible, burning sensation, and that's when I hear of anyone getting a burn of any description, no matter how small, I just feel for them. Because, as I said, I felt my back was gone on fire a few times. And to be quite honest, I roar with the pain. I just wasn't able to tolerate it. And I would consider that I have a fairly high pain tolerance level. But this really got to me. It was absolutely horrendous. And I do think that that vaccine should be available on the medical card for people or at a very reduced rate for people that don't have the medical card. But the other thing that I, I don't know about that and it's something I must look into mm. uh, is the, can you have that um, injection if you're still suffering slightly from shingles? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know, uh, you know, what is what is involved in it. Uh, uh, would it would it set up, would it cause a flare up again if the shingles aren't gone totally? Or that'll be interesting. You know. And is that something that can happen, um, Michael? I mean, could you get a full flare up of shingles again, or because it's viral in some way, is this, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of, to be honest. But uh, yeah. you would get them back as bad again. 
Uh, I know. There's a, a very good friend of mine who is also involved in, in suicide bereavement. And they've had shingles three times in the last three years. Now, they didn't have them bad. But uh, I remember there was an old wise tale one time that if, you know, you usually get shingles around the, or the waist and, and there was no wise tale there that if the shingles met, you would die. Well, that's not true because I know a person where it has happened twice with them. Uh, needless to say, they're, they're alive and well. Yeah, um, uh, John, John was on to us from uh, Clonalty and he says, I had shingles years ago, I got the cure from a man in Cavan. Mm. I was bent over with pain and the minute I put on the cure, it completely cleared up the shingles. The cure was three pats of butter with blood mixed up in it. Good God. Did you hear about, because I know that Mrs Meskel years ago uh, here in South Tip um had a, had a cure for shingles. Did you hear a lot about that kind of thing, uh, Michael? I, I did, Fran, and to be quite honest, I, I believe in it. Do you? Yeah. I, I do. And, and the mistake I made was I didn't go for it in time. I had a full, very bad flare-up when I went at the time. And I often think, like, how bad w- would, it, would it have been if I hadn't gone for the cure? Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, you think it could have even but, been worse, Michael? I do. I do. I think only for the cures would have been worse. And can I ask you about the cure you got? Well, the cure I got was uh, it's um, a person's blood. They put their blood on where the where the rash is. I know. Wow. That's the poor person that did it, but nearly took a pint of blood. I was so bad with it at the time, and I said it was the worst case they had ever seen. But I, 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 I definitely left it too late, friend, because I was of the mistaken opinion that when I got the tablet, that was the cure for shingles. Right. And what I didn't realise was that it is to prevent viral infection. Ah, OK. And if I had known at the time, I would have gone for the cure straight away, and I have no doubt it would have worked, because I know people at the moment, uh, quite a number of people uh, have uh, I've told me about getting shingles and they went for the cure and it worked for them. And Michael, we know each other a, a long time. When I met you after you contracting uh, shingles, if you'll forgive me saying so, it, it took an awful lot out of you. I mean, I could see it took a huge amount out of you. Yeah, I, I did. I, I, yeah, I found everything very painful, friend. painful walking, uh, painful eating, uh, Travelling over and back to the medical centre in Clark Jordan was extremely painful. I never realised the roads were so bumpy. Uh, every little bump in the road, it, it, it sent extreme pain right through through the my chest and and air. Okay. And well, what, what about sleep, Michael? Sleep is um, whatever chance I had of sleeping in the chair it was a very uh, difficult to sleep in bed because. No matter what way you lay it, you're going to be hurting some part, either your arm or your back or your chest. Uh, was was going to feel the pressure when you when you would lie in the, and needless to say, you would fall asleep because you become exhausted, and you would fall asleep, mm-hmm. and then of course the, the pain would would uh, waken you up again. And the only thing, friend, I want to mention as well that I, I eventually got pain patches, and. In the mornings, I, I think the time would never come to, you know, a time when they could put on the pain patch. And that they gave great relief for about four hours. Mm. And the same then, medica- I'm still on medication for them, uh, to, for, for nerve pain. 
It's, it's an incredible story, Michael, as I, as I say. Now, it's important to point out to people, your case was an extreme one, Michael. Some, some it people, was extreme, Some yeah. people, it is literally just a rash and it doesn't last all of that long, but it can be extreme, as in your case, you know. Yes, and of course I remember at the time someone visited me here, and I must say it was a very good friend of mine. He called me every day for about five weeks, and he spent about two hours with me. And I just forgot he had the patience of Joe because most of the time I was moaning and groaning there while he was here. Uh, but, but people told me, like, and the Burton being, you know, the doom and gloom type, but there was then they had heard of people that where they took shingles to the grave with them. I well, I forgot to ask him as what age is that person. <laughs> well, well, Michael, I, I'm glad you're on the mend, even though you still have uh, symptoms every so often. But really good to talk to you, Michael. And thanks for sharing that story, Michael. Thanks very Thank much, Fran. It was great lot. to see you and Maureen and Kevin on, on Sunday up in Nina's. Well. It was a lovely day, wasn't thanks it? Thanks very much, Fran. Nice meeting yourself. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, you did a great job, Fran. Oh, no, Absolutely no. fantastic. Thanks, That's Michael. Going. Thank you. And look after yourself, Michael. Gurmila Michael. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, my friend Michael Egan there with the story of shingles. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 I'll tell you about that competition in just a little while. I'm not forgetting it. I will get back to it in just a little while. But it is a voucher uh, to encourage people to shop in lovely Thurlis this Christmas. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. And Phil is with me. Do you know I feel today, Phil, you should be listening to all my problems? Well, Fran, if you want me to listen to those, I'd be very happy to do so and hope I can give you some solace, comfort and advice. Oh, I'm sure you could, Phil. I'm sure you could. All right, then, letter number one to Phil today. My partner and I have been together for over a year and it's all going well, at least I thought it was. We were at my house watching a movie the other night when my phone died. I went to check something on Google and my partner offered me his phone to use. I did. And when looking for Google, I noticed that he still has Tinder on his phone. I was a bit taken aback by it and I asked him why he had Tinder. He laughed it off and he said it's been on his phone for ages and he must take it off, but he made a no attempt to do so there and then. Now, it's really bothering me since. I asked a friend of mine to search for his profile on Tinder and lo and behold, he's still on there but he doesn't seem to be active. So what should I do? I feel like if I approach him about it, I look psycho, but I really don't think he should have any profile on Tinder if he's with me. After a year, he should know if he wants to be with me, and I feel like he's hedging his bets a bit. Am I being unreasonable, Phil? Look, he's not active on Tinder. He didn't run immediately to take it off his phone, and why should he either? He's not active on it. I think she's completely overreacting to something that she mm. found out accidentally. 
And he handed her but, his phone. And he, exactly, he wasn't hiding it. And do you know, friend, there can be multiple apps on our phones that we no longer use or we've gone on to a better one or better source of information or a more validated source or whatever. And you don't think, it's every now and again you think, it must clean off that, yeah, God, them widgets and yokes that are on my phone. And, and you just do it. But like, this chap is not guilty of anything. He's with this girl over a year. What is wrong? Nothing. So she says, I look psycho. So she, <laughs> she... I mean, that's an overreaction as well. She won't look psycho, but, like, there's nothing wrong. This relationship is not broken. There is nothing wrong. She should... Like, why should he have... Say, oh, God, yeah, I must take that off straight away. Because that's, like... They're together over a year, right? I mean, we're talking, like, 52 weeks, 54 weeks, whatever. Yeah. It's a short enough time in relationship terms, even though some people know immediately mm. that they're going to be together forever. But, like, I think she's overreacting here. Mm, yeah. I, I just don't feel it. I don't feel that, you know, that she is picking on something that she knew nothing about before her phone battery died. Um, and she's kind of overreacting to it. I think she should stop worrying. And, um, and she got a friend to check it again, which is a little bit sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not active on it. So there is nothing wrong here. Yeah. What does it say about her own self-esteem, though? Her own I would say she's probably lacking yeah. confidence. Yeah. Um, she must feel a little bit insecure in the relationship for her to be worrying and fretting about something that really she discovered very randomly. And I don't think that... When people meet someone, they immediately say, right, okay, I must get new clothes, I must dress differently, I must talk differently, I must go to different places, I must develop these attributes, I must take Tinder off my my profile or as part of my my widgets or whatever it is, the apps that you have in your phone. It's it's not something people are saying, well, that was my life then and this is my life now. You know, I mean, relationships take a while to evolve. They don't get sorted, really sort of... You know, you don't make the commitment. I think it's something that grows. Um, there's this would probably worry me if she's starting to fret about things that are not issues. Yeah. What might she be like if something became if, if an there issue? There was an issue, yeah. You know, I think she needs to relax a bit. Right. And just accept it at face value. Because he seems fairly chilled, doesn't he? He Absolutely. laughed. He, he laughed it off. He gave her the phone. He said, "You know, oh, I must take that off." You know. Yeah, but like he didn't rush. They were <laughs> watching a film or something. Like what? You know. I mean, she's she's been very insecure, and I think maybe she's lacking in confidence. Maybe she should have some relationship counselling, mm. if that's this big a deal. But this isn't a big deal, the fact he had tender on his phone. All right, okay. Uh, letter number two. I'm kind of confused a little bit by this one. But anyway, dear Phil, I went to a friend's wedding recently. We had a great night. The only thing I found strange on the night was the bar tab went on really late. I even asked the bar staff why and was told it hadn't reached its limit yet. A week after the wedding, my friend was on honeymoon, so this is the bride, I presume, in America. I got a message from her looking for money for the drinks I had on the bar tab as I wasn't supposed to have had them because the hotel had made a mistake and they were overcharged. They were supposed to have given them to a certain group of people at the wedding that gave them a present of money. 
She said the Irish guests were not supposed to get drinks on the tab. Shocked by this, I rang the hotel and looked to speak to a manager as I couldn't understand such a mistake as I've worked in hotels in management and bars, so I know how the bar tab works. I was told there was no mistake made and it was already paid for. Also, that they would sort it out with the bride and groom. I said this to my friend. She got annoyed with me and said some not very nice things. We haven't spoken since and I've noticed other people have fell out with her too. To add, I didn't go mad on the bar tab as I'm uncomfortable drinking other people's money and each time I went to the bar I had money to pay for my drinks. I'm so upset as we were good friends before this. She was never like this. Do you think there's any way I can fix our friendship? I think it's a very bizarre situation. Isn't it? Well, it's really weird. Um, I, the idea that the Irish people at the wedding were to pay for their own drinks while were they supposed to wear a green shamrock or something on their forehead? Do you know what I mean? It's a very bizarre... Did they sign? Or how did they know how many drinks that she had, for example? Did you have to sign? I, I, I don't know how the, that system works, but I'm sure somebody might enlighten us. But, mm. I mean, either way, um, if you were on a free bar, I, I think most people would have a bit of decor... Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. be drinking kind of 19 drinks or anything. Well, I tend to drink less if there's a I would drink than I would less as well yeah. because obviously if you're going to have wine with a meal and you have a drink beforehand, you're not really going to keep going at the drink afterwards mm. because, first of all, there's kind of the dancing. You're socialising mm. with people. Now, there are people that really love going to weddings and love falling down drunk, but I mean, mm. it's not for most people now. And also there's an end. But there's a certain innate, I think, responsibility as well that if there's a free bar and you go up and you offer money, they say, no, the bar is sorted. Um, this is a, a free bar. How was she to know? She wasn't. And I don't think the bride really should have been looking for money for anyone else. And especially when the management told this lady that the, the bar tab had been paid for. So sorted. not only are we unclear about this, but obviously the barman was unclear about this and the hotel was unclear about it. Yeah, so. and also the girl herself the was girl. unclear about it because she offered and had money each time. So she obviously offered and they said, no, the bar tab hasn't reached its maximum yet. And I don't know either how you would be expected as bar staff to know that the people that might come up with... Now, I'm just saying that might have an American accent or a different accent, that those weren't to be charged. But the people, the bog frogs come up and they say, hunk, give us this. And suddenly they are charged. It's and, a bizarre situation. And what about the line, they were supposed to have given them to a certain group of people at the wedding that gave them a present of money. But Fran, like most people give presents of money now yeah, because what yeah. do you, like who wants to get 50 kettles? Right. So in terms of fixing up the friendship then, I mean... If she didn't drink that much, so probably what thirty, forty euro, wouldn't you be better to? I, I just find it very bizarre. I find yeah, it I extremely bizarre. I don't know. I mean, this girl is very bothered by it, and she says, mm. "Do you think there's a way I can fix our friendship?" And I think she needs to have just a kind of a chat with her and say, how were the bar staff supposed to discern who gave money to the bride? And I'm wondering what she gave her. Like, if, you know, people can contribute by paying for towards the cost of the flowers or give a voucher towards... You know, I mean, there's mm. many, many ways you can contribute to a wedding without it being actual cash. Now, most people I know, as we would ourselves, you would just give cash. Of course. You'd cover the cost of your your, um, your meal and you would, you would cover a bit more than that. And, like, that's the basis of a wedding, really. 
Weddings cause so much. I mean, even in our discussions over the years, weddings come up time and time again as being They do. They're problematic. And I think part of the problem is when you have so many complexities and you have so much hype about the day. And I mean, I know a fortnight ago where they had the engagement of the sister at the sister's wedding, which again, I thought was an appalling thing to do because just don't rain on someone else's parade. But this seems to be very bizarre. And I think maybe in the writing of it, it, it mightn't be clear to us, but I am very confused because how were the bar staff to know who to charge for drinks and who not to charge? And were they, did they have a list of people and say, well, what's your name? Oh, you gave them 250 or three. <laughs> Here's a drink. Here's a drink. No, there's a drink for you, all right. You, you'll be able to have as many drinks. Well, the fellow beside you, he, he was came, yeah, Sorry, no, now. No, no, yeah, we didn't get anything from you yet. The envelope was just with a card. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Make for great drama. I uh, absolutely. Say. But it's, it's, a, it's not a very. It's not a very clear thing. I don't know. I think maybe she she needs to go and have a chat with her and explain to her, look, how were we supposed to know this? And also, what was she doing on her honeymoon? I know. Sending sending phone calls or sending messages to a friend about you owe us money. I don't know. It's very strange. strange. Letter number three. Dear Phil, my wife and I have been married for four years. We have no children. When we first got married for our first Christmas together, we decided that we would spend Christmas with our own families the way we always have and we would just celebrate ourselves that morning before heading off. We've done that for four Christmases now, but I really think it's time to decide on our own traditions. I asked my wife this week if we could look at doing something else for Christmas that wouldn't separate us. She is adamant that she wants to go home to her parents because that's what she's always done and I'm welcome to come with her but that's as far as she is willing to compromise. I think it's a bit unfair and I said if I go with you this year will you come to my family next year but she said no. She said she would always go to her parents for Christmas. I asked about what will happen when we have children but again she said they will just go with her to her parents and I can come too or go separately to my family. I also suggested that we have our own Christmas at home but she said she doesn't want the hassle of cooking and she loves going home for Christmas and doesn't want to change her tradition. I think she's being very unfair and unreasonable but how should I approach this? Uh, Do you know what? I think this is probably complex enough insofar as the woman seems very stuck and she can't see beyond the situation she's in. And I, I think when you're married, like maybe the parents would love a break from always hosting the family and she could invite the parents to her house and start a tradition. I mean, it's reasonable what the chap is asking after four years. It is reasonable. But he can continue to go his way and she can continue to go her way. But like... Come Christmas, if they have children, and I would hope that they do, mm. uh, if that's all to be for them, that they would actually start making Christmas special in their own house. Of course. Because yeah. it's the natural thing to do. It's just something that evolves. And I can remember our first Christmas being married and sort of like we, we had to go out because, first of all, me and Turkeys didn't get on at the time because I knew nothing about them. I just thought, Jesus, I just knew that we had an aga at home when we were young and just went in and everything smelled nice. And I, I got sick that evening always because I <laughs> ate too much chocolate because it was there. Um, apart from the turkey. Yeah. But like this is a kind of a um, looking for what seemed to be a reasonable sort of a conversation for the husband to have with his wife and she saying no. 
Mm. And she just doesn't want to cook. Absolutely no, in fact. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and also that when they have children, and look, they mightn't be able to have children. That's another complete story and mm. I wouldn't want to be putting the hex on them. But like, it's a perfectly reasonable thing that he would want to stay in his own house do his own house up. I mean, I loved the Christmas traditions. I lo- I remember when my lads were very, very small and I, we had this kind of a very posh fireplace. But anyway, I put uh, shoes down and put glitter all around it so Santa's footprints were in the thing. And very I can good. remember the kids being two and four or one and three. This, the excitement. I can imagine. The excitement can Christmas imagine. morning. Yeah. And it was the whole thing. You have to go to bed. No, you have to have a bath. You have to go to bed. You have to get into bed. You have to get into your new jammies sure, now. It's fantastic, Sunday. isn't it? And yeah, I mean, everybody. the excitement for us was as big as the excitement for them yeah. because I can remember my horrendous disappointment when I was about nine when I saw a bike coming in the front door. Now, it wasn't coming in by itself. It was coming by my father. God rest him. But I can remember being yeah, quite... Yeah, of course. So excited for the bike, I wanted to go out in it there and then, but I couldn't pretend I'd seen it because uh, I'd been killed. Of course, yeah. So, what do you think then? I mean, she's not for changing like Maggie Thatcher. So, you know. I, I think there's going to have to be a sit down. You know, I mean, don't start the row now, but I mean, it's obviously, it, maybe it's just something that she should say or he should say. Will, will we ask the parents to come here? for Christmas so is that we change around maybe they are fed up maybe they'd love to be invited out Mm. and Fran it can be that when traditions are very ingrained I think the girl has to take account that she has a husband and she's had him for four years and that she has her own house and it's it's a kind of a cop out to say no I I don't want to cook I'd, I'd rather just go to my parents she's no longer the child here she is an adult and I mean I think it's fair and reasonable that there should be uh, I'd want it I'd want to get the atmosphere going in my own house I'd want Mm. to start our own traditions Mm. of things we would do and it's mostly at Christmas time while it can be very traumatic for some people and I'm aware there are people listening that are dreading Christmas because of the cost or because of martial breakdown or relationship breakdown or problems or sick people I real and people that have lost and are bereaved over the past year. That's all going to impact on how Christmas is viewed. For a lot of people, it's very complex. This this woman is may have been flippant in how she answered it. It doesn't read as if it's flippant, mm. though, and so mm. we can only presume. But like, I think the time would be to have a mature conversation about. Look, the real thing. And okay, while they have no children, this might be fine to continue. But maybe her parents don't want it. Maybe so, indeed. And maybe they should have a conversation about that. Yeah, well, communication is what it's all about. They tell me. Well, Fran, it is very true and um, communication and miscommunication is one of the biggest causes of strife at Christmas for a lot of people. Uh, well, that's for certain. Phil, it's always good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. Pleasure, Fran. Um, if you've got a dear Phil problem you'd like Phil to have a look at, you can email us and that's uh, tip today at tipfm.com. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie oh, Delighted to have our uh, psychotherapist and relationships uh, mentor, uh, Susan O'Donoghue, with me right now. Good morning to you, Susan. And what you're going to 
talk to us about today. It sort of plays into one of the letters there because it's conflict around Christmas, Susan. Yeah, good morning, Fran. Yeah, it certainly does. And I suppose for a lot of us, we look forward to Christmas and, you know, we look forward to meeting family and friends. And it's kind of a time of year where you make an effort, you yes. know, the rest of the year flies by and you don't. And I suppose uh, then we have the other side of it where you have a lot of people who really dread Christmas, do you know. And I think maybe the whole uh, lockdown thing was a blessing in disguise for a lot of people where they didn't have to meet yeah. up with people and they didn't have to go and sit with people who maybe they find, I don't know, like maybe they find very hard to, and difficult personalities maybe and maybe that feeling of an obligation to show up to family things. Um, so I think for a lot of people it might have been very, very, very helpful, the whole COVID thing. So now that we're back into it for the second year, it could be quite difficult for a lot of people, you know. So I think it's all about communication. Mm. You said it there before. Sure, everything's about communication, do you know what I mean? And the most important communication is with yourself to tap in and see what's going on for you and how you're feeling. Because you might have a load of feelings coming up and not really know where they're coming from or why it's happening. And you might just need to have take time out to think to yourself, how is it that I feel so desperate having to meet up with these people? Mm. Or how is it I feel so threatened having to go, and, to go to dinner in this house? Or what do I need to do around it for myself? Do you know and what I mean? Is it a cliche to think that, I mean, childhood will emerge with all these things. I mean, you know, when you go back to the family home, you become the child. You do. You take on the role, don't you? Wherever you are in the family, wherever, whatever sibling, you know, was ahead of you or behind you, they'll take on their role. So you'll fall back into that again. And what's quite interesting is I remember my husband saying to me years and years ago, um, I had my dad came into the house, Lord Merson, we came into the house and we were sitting there. And the next thing when he left, my husband said to me, my God, I can't believe how much you changed when your dad came in. Was that very interesting? Yeah, you know, for me now, of and course. And you didn't realise that yourself? Not, I just fell into the role like it was second nature. Well, it was second nature because that's what it was. But it wasn't that, it was just like, yes, Dad, no, Dad, just, that, you know, that so kind of... So you were the daughter again? I was, I was the small five-year-old again, looking up to him on his pedestal. That's what I was. So it's quite amazing how we do that unconsciously because I'm back to that again now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's, I, I'm just fascinated by... Uh, how we take care of ourselves in situations. So I think it's always about tapping in and seeing how is it for me to be in a situation and what do I need to do around it? And conflict, I suppose, can be very threatening, can't it? And we have different ways that we deal with it. Some people, will, you know, they'll lash back or they'll yeah. defend themselves and they'll be aggressive around it. And then other people, they'll be passive and run away into a corner and hide. And I think it's about that lovely place in the middle where you, you're able to assert yourself for yourself and not against another. And I think that's important, you know what I mean? And it's about taking care of your own needs because we are responsible for our own needs. It's not up to somebody else to take care of our needs for us, you mm. know? So it's always about communicating with yourself first about how it is for you. And then it's that lovely communication with another. And remember, the other needs to communicate with themselves too, consciously. They of need course, to know what's yes. going on for them before you'll be able to have... But do you find at Christmas time, Susan, that people would allow themselves maybe to be insulted or intimidated in some way more than at any other time rather than cause trouble if you know what I mean sorry I put that very clumsy but you know what I mean yeah I think I think a lot of the time if you're that kind of passive person right you'll just yeah. put up with put it put up with it yeah, yeah. you'll just get but on with it should you do that do you know what? I believe that if that's your protector, yeah, because that's what it is, right? Yeah. We all have our protectors that we do. It's 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 about recognising that that's what you're doing. Because once you recognise that's okay. what you're doing, 
now you're in control of it and now you have a choice and that's why I'm always talking about conscious and unconscious when it's a reaction when I'm unconsciously doing it I'm just la- I'm just running away you know what I mean and hiding and just putting up with it and then I come away and I feel oh my god I can't believe you know what I mean that I was so in that place and I felt so horrible and why do I feel so horrible when you've no understanding of why you feel the way you feel Right. that's when it's unconscious, when there's a whole load of fear in it for you. But when you can get to the place of just recognising, this is what I'm doing here now, this situation is so threatening for me, you know, because it wouldn't be threatening, remember now, unless somebody was touching into sore spots. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So it can't touch into you unless the sore spot is there already. So people call it triggers, they call it loads of different stuff, but it's like that if my experience of Christmas Day was not very nice growing up, chances are I'll be fearful of it now. Yeah. It's interesting. And then you add alcohol to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Then you add the alcohol to it and you add maybe, you know, uh, you haven't seen people for a long time. Maybe there's a history there, Mm. you know, that you've fallen out before or maybe a few words spoken or maybe no words spoken, just dirty looks or Mm. whatever, you know, you don't have to say anything to be... (laughs) And then you add the alcohol in and that really fuels it. Do you know mm. what I mean? So I think it's always about looking at things beforehand and thinking, this seems to be really, I really don't want to do this. And how is that for me now? What do I need to do around it? Maybe that might be saying, do you know what? I'm not going. Yeah. Mm. Maybe mm. that might be that. Maybe that's your way of protecting yourself. Maybe you're too fearful or it's too threatening to say I'm not going. So maybe what you need to do is maybe the person who maybe you know is going to be the most threatening there for you. If you're in a place to, it might be to ring them up and have a coffee with them first. You know, and just kind of... That's a great idea. Yeah, you know, just to see how so it is. you're setting you. the scene you're almost, set, you, yeah. Well, you're checking it out for yourself yeah. before you get there. You know what I mean? So it, remember, it's always about being conscious around how you feel. Because if I'm now... If I'm now conscious around this is threatening for me now I have options now Mm. I have a choice around it now I can say maybe if I meet them beforehand just for a coffee just to see will it be very threatening for me when I get there or to see can I kind of see if that's forgotten about what happened you know what I mean so I won't feel so under pressure when I get there and like there's loads of stuff we can do around it like it's always about taking care of yourself and I think it's about you know being conscious around this is what's happening for me. What do I need to do around it? Use an I statement when you're speaking. Don't say, you make me feel uncomfortable. You're the reason I don't want to go. Say, I feel uncomfortable. You know, I feel there's stuff that I need to take care of for myself in this. And that's why I feel like I can't go. Or that's why I feel like I'll need to take a walk after dinner. Or that's why I feel like I'll need to go answer an imaginary phone call. Mm. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, know. Whatever yeah. it is, you know. And I think Drink is dangerous, you know. Very dangerous in, yeah. in, in, with with family gatherings. I, I I would dread it now, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, saying no and I don't want to go, that, that could be the most empowering thing you could do, isn't it? It's it's taking care of yourself because, yeah. as I said before, when I say yes to everything, yeah, I'm a lot of the time I'm saying no to myself. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm a yes person and I'm a people pleaser, even to recognise that that's my protector and that's how I get through life is by saying yes to everybody because then I'm seen and everybody thinks I'm great and everybody says, isn't she a great woman altogether? And you know what I mean? That's fabulous. But at the same time, I'm putting myself under pressure the whole time. Maybe I'm not doing it with a full heart in it. I just, I don't really want to do it, but I'm saying yes just because that's what I do. Yeah, that's how I get seen. So who am I really... Um, who am I really like letting down here? Who am I not taking care of? And that's myself. 
you know and it has worked like when you think when we think of our protectors right they worked when we were small because Mm. we didn't have a choice because we most of us we weren't going to say listen can't take this anymore I'm five I'm off to next door it Mm. just didn't work like that so until we had um, a chance to leave the home of origin right and then we get the choice to think about what's going on for us and have a look at our protectors and see, are they working for us anymore? Because most of the time they work on some level, but they don't really. They're not serving the purpose that they were designed for in the beginning. That's very interesting. And that letter that came in to, to Phil, I, I was fascinated by the, the wife who has to go home to the parents every single year yeah. because that's what she... Is that about childhood? That, that That's a warmth for her. That's important. Yeah, see, we'd only know if we have her here now, right? Okay. But my guess would be, would maybe that... For me, everything comes from our childhood. Yeah. yeah, that's where we build our protectors. That's where we get... That's where we get our view of the world, yeah? And it can be through school. It can be through parents. It can be through friends. But that's where we we get our perspective on what the world is going to be like, whether it's safe, whether it's not safe. And maybe for that woman, I'm not sure, maybe that's her sense of safety. Mm. Maybe she feels safe there. Maybe it brings back lovely memories for her of growing up and, you know, mum taking care of her mm. and dad taking... Who, mm. like, but the thing about she's it very is, precious about it, uh, yeah, certainly from the letter. Yeah, you know. it sounds like she, you know, yeah. it sounds like that that's, that's her comfort spot, you know. So we don't want to take that away from her, yeah. but we want her to get an understanding of that she's living out of it. Yes. Do you know? And not be fearful around, I suppose. You can make your own comfort now. Of course, yeah. yeah. But you know. does she have to get to the place where she understands why she wants that so badly? Yes, and yeah. that's the key. And it's always about looking at her own behaviours and what 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 is happening here for me. How And if there's fear behind it, you definitely know then that that's the protector. If there's fear behind your behaviour, if you're doing it because, oh, I have to, I must, I should, I ought to, if those words come into it, you know then that there's a huge need to mind yourself in it. And if you feel like you need to mind yourself in it, how is that? What's the threat? Yeah. How do you deal with that kind of fear? That's how you do is by recognising it. Recognizing yeah. It. It's about acknowledging that it's there. It's about recognising it. You don't have to do anything with it, right? Because now I have a conscious choice around whether I want to use this protector anymore. That's what that's what makes the difference. It's not that you're using, say, uh, a passive ag- or passive or aggressive or whatever way you your protector is. It's not that you use it. It's your understanding of where it came from, why you're using it now, and connect the two. That's how you get um, choice out of it. That's when you can say, you know what, I really think now that I need to be passive in this situation because I am fearful, yeah? But now I'm recognising it consciously. It's not a reaction anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm having a response here. Yes, I really feel threatened in this situation. I feel like I need to be passive now. I need to stand back. I need to run away. And that's my way of taking care of myself now. Now, the next time it comes along for me, right, because I would have been passive. I would have ran, like, for the hills, Mm, right? mm. So the next time it comes around for me now, I might be a bit braver because now I'm consciously, I know that that's what I'm doing. But when I don't know what I'm doing, it's just a reaction. Okay, yeah. and the advantage of that then is is what you f- you feel better about you, I suppose. Well, doesn't it? it always feel good to be able to assert yourself yeah, and stand up yeah. for yourself? You know, it always feels good to know this is why I'm doing this. This is where it's coming from. And it makes perfect sense to me that I put that in place when I was younger to take care of myself. 
It's very interesting indeed. Christmas time, though, I mean, every year we have discussions around this and yeah. around the conflict and around the alcohol and all, yeah. all of these things. And still, it's a gorgeous time of year. You know? Well, it is for me. You'd yeah. find it gorgeous as oh, well. Uh, well, I love it, but I'm very strict about it. I'm not strict over other people, but I'm strict over the way we celebrate Christmas and it's just ourselves. We yeah. don't go out and we don't have anybody in. Yeah, well, I can say I did. My children said that to me years and years ago when they were really small because uh, I suppose I was a pleaser and I used to be trying to, you know, make sure everybody had somewhere to go and everybody was yeah. happy and everybody was... And my kids said to me, they were really small at the time, they said, ma'am, we don't want to go to anyone else's house. Yeah. We don't want anyone coming here because mm. we can't open our presents. We can't play with our presents. There's an expectation that we're going to be saying hello to everybody. Yeah. And like then we decided pyjama day. I, it sounds perfect to me. Do you know, yeah. and yeah. that's the way it is. Now, I'm very conscious that my children will be leaving me soon. Mm, I know. <laughs> so I'll have to get a new pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, and that's the taking care of yourself yeah. again. Well, it's strange you said it, but as you know, my son is yeah. away in the last six weeks or so, but it'll be the first Christmas without him now. So that puts a whole other yeah. dynamic, dynamic into it all together. And that's what happens, isn't yeah. it? Life progresses and things change. Yeah. You know, it's even like that girl, you know, her life has progressed. She's with that, that her husband four years now that they're together and she still feels that she's in that place of, you know, but life does move on yeah. and things yeah. do happen. And, you know, there is bereavement and there is all sorts of stuff and there is heartbreak and stuff like kids moving away mm. You know, mm. but that's what life is about. And who wouldn't want to see them spread their wings? Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. Of course, indeed. Sure. It's selfish old stuff, you know. It's just lovely. to care of self <laughs> in it. Now, mind yourself. That's what it's about. Well, isn't that the secret of everything? If people want to talk to you, Susan, how, how can they do so? No problem. It's uh, My phone number is 086 3676 256 and it's info at ie. Thanks, friend. Always good to see you, Susan. Thanks very much indeed. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Uh, we're giving away vouchers all of this week by way of celebration of uh, the fact that shopping is going to be wonderful in Thurles on the run-up to Christmas. And just to let you know as well that uh, this coming Friday, the 1st of December, the lights will be turned on in Thurles as well. And uh, we will have some detail on that for you over the next uh, uh, dare so as well. But the winner of our 50 euro voucher today, and it's a 50 euro voucher by the way, for Stakedom's menswear on Fire Street in Thurles, and that's going to Eileen Gibbons of Woodview Close in Nina. Well done to you, Eileen, and uh, well done to Stakedom's there as well. 1800 Time to speak to our GP, Dr. Pat Harold. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fred. And great to talk to you today. You're going to talk to us a little bit about hip and knee replacements. And for some reason, rather, maybe it's an age thing with me, but the people I'm talking to recently, I'm he- hearing a lot about these replacements, Pat. Yeah, they seem to be everywhere, don't yeah. they, Fred? Um, yeah. I, I, is it the age for that? It must be. It must be. Because um, I, I, a good friend just got me thinking, because a good friend of mine... Um, and one yesterday. So that got me thinking about it and it was sort of getting him geared up and ready for it and everything. And I suppose he's a fair old age um, and as you say, most nearly everybody who goes for it is sort of between 60 and 80. That seems to be kind of the, the peak thing. Well, there are younger people. I've had a few patients and they, they, all, they were all sort of light um, thin kind of fellas <gasps> who were very active and I think there might have been a shallow joint in the first place in the oh. head. Oh. You know, um, and I know like a lot of dog breeds are very prone to it, and I think they seem to be of a type anyway. Now they're rare, and the thing about getting a hip replacement when you're, or indeed a knee replacement when you're very young, is um, is 
things do wear out a bit. Mm, yeah. um, now, they used to commonly say, you know, you'd knock 15 years out of a hip and maybe a bit longer out of the knee. But um, you have to remember that they, they're, they're improving them all the time. Mm. You know, there's better instrumentation, there's better things. So hopefully if you get one, say, at 65, it'll last you for years and years and mm. years to come. If you don't like the cars these days, last longer than the cars that were there one time. Sure, and yeah. um, that's all that kind of thing. So the vast majority of people, it, um, in, we just talk about the hip, it, mm. um, it, it, it's wearing tear. Osteoarthritis, it's just weird. And um, it, it's probably a bit commoner in people who are very heavy because the same as you're looking around, you know, a load of concrete box in the boot of your car, you'll get, you'll wear down the um, suspension. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Whereas if you don't, if you don't. But um, it, it then sort of comes to the point do you need a new um, hip? Mm. And when you're coming to me, things would be looking at for pain and fitness. And if you have pain at night, that's Great. Um, if it's severely limiting your movement, because if you're if you can't move around too well, then you you don't get fit and you pile on more weight yeah. and you don't use it. So I think the thing is, if your hip is giving you bother or your knee, you look at a type of exercise that doesn't bother you. Mm. So I'm a great believer, as I said, in the exercise bike. You can yeah. have it in the corner of a, a room that's not used very often and work away in that, and that will keep your fitness levels up, and it's really good for your knees and ankles and everything like that. But um, the mm. main thing, Fran, is that um, you keep active your way. And yes. if you ever go to the HSC website, there's a thing called Keep Active Your Way. And um, that's, that's very good. And, and Pat, if, if you have a touch of pain in the hip or in the knee, should you continue with maybe the exercise bike? You, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, motion is lotion. But if is you're getting it, yeah. pain in your hip, it might necessarily need a new one. Yeah. So I, I'd always be very keen on seeing a physiotherapist because right. they'll distinguish very fast. And everyone in the country has gone mad for an MRI scan. But, you know, the MRIs are... And, and sometimes I find myself saying to people, well... And then I won't tell us a heck of a lot more than what we know already. Mm. But both for hips and knees, an X-ray, a good old-fashioned X-ray standing up, will tell you if the joint is narrowing. And if the joint is narrowing and you're getting bone on bone, um, you might need to get it done. It's very much a lifestyle decision. Yes. You know, you want the ticket. I remember a surgeon saying one time to me, if you need that night done like that, he says, get it done. He says, it's about January. You know, the rain is running down the windows. And he says, you can stay indoors and look out. You don't, yes. to. Yeah. you don't want to be doing these things in the summer. Yeah, but so I, I can't get over how quickly people are up and running, Pat. A friend of mine, um, two weeks ago, got it done. He's, he's, he's from Wexford. And within two days, he, he was back on his feet, so to speak. They, they actually get you out probably that evening. Yeah, amazing, right. isn't it? Um, and then they get you walking around. The first night they say after hip is the worst because it's the, the the pain in the joint itself is gone. They've taken it, they've put in a thing, and they've got now minimally invasive surgery. So instead of making a cut about a foot long, they make a cut about four inches long, mm. and they get the whole kit and caboodle in through that. I've no idea how it is. <laughs> I, 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 when it I was is. in... Um, Operating theatres thirty years ago, there wasn't any of that, and um, the, the, any pain you have is sort of from the cut itself. But it's very important that you kind of have the house ready for coming home, because you'll probably be home in a couple of days, mm. and you want to sort of a raised toilet seat. You want you don't you want to be very careful of getting in and out of cars. You don't want to flex your knee up past ninety degrees, or the whole thing could pop out. Um, you know, but yeah. you, you can walk and stand, and generally after a week, people are kind of hobbling around the place a bit. And after a month, 
and very, very few people regret it. 90% mm. of people are happy they've done. So it's kind of a thing you go in and you, you, you're putting yourself through all this sort of pain and misery and mm. time of work and everything. But then when time comes around, you're so happy because you can do loads of things you couldn't do before. So, um, but, but I think, you know, I would always do a little bit of homework before you get it done. Make sure you're as fit as possible. You have good core strength. You know, your other muscles are good and you're well able for it and your vitamin E levels are up mm. and you're ready to go in. And um, and at most people, the knee is a little bit trickier. It's a trickier thing because it's it kind indeed. of a three-way thing. Yeah. The knee is a lot yeah. trickier, actually. Um, and it, um, so, you know, it, it, it's a very much an individual choice. I'd have to be careful with the radio now. I wouldn't advise everyone to get it done every mm. time. Some mm. people manage to get by for a long, long time and their x-ray looks catastrophic and other people are just in a lot of pain. We used to say soccer players used to get an awful lot of bother with their knee well, from the twisting and things to carry yes, yeah. wear down and then the bone goes a lot faster. Yeah, it's very... You know, I, I hear a lot yeah. about this stem cell um, that would rejuvenate things in some way, Pat. Is, is, that, is that in this country or am I just looking oh, at too much social media? That's such a... Um, a hard question to throw at country doctor. No friend. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the theory of stem cell is if we were all sensible when we were born, we should get our placenta blood taken and we'd have stem cells taken for the rest of our lives. And a stem cell is a cell that can develop into an It's kind of like, um, it, it's sort of ready to go. It's like an embryo. Um, just it can it can become a heart muscle, it can become an eye muscle or an eye thing, it can become anything and it is very much the way forward. They're really hoping that it'll be good for spinal surgery. You know, the people who've got the spinal cord transected yeah. they can grow a new bit and sort of patch it in. Um it, there there are stem cells out and I don't know how far advanced mm. it is. You know, that's yeah. the only thing I can say to you. And if you can get this good. Now if you do look up antibiotics or needs the first thing that would pop up in your on whatever you're looking through is um, surgery abroad. Yes. And there is a thing where you can actually get surgery abroad in any EU country. It's it's amazing really because you can go to another EU country and get something done and they can come here and get things done. There's and you can get refunds and all that. Mm. But all I could say to you is do your homework very well. Yes. You know, because um you know, you know that there's a certain standard in Ireland. There's, there's everybody who does these things has to have a certain degree of um, education and have done so many and supervision and you know, you're basically you're signed off to do it. Like being mm. an aeronautical engineer or a pilot or something, you know, you you demonstrate a level of competence. And you can't always say that for abroad. Now it might be brilliant, it might be dreadful. Yes. You know, you don't know. But um, one thing is, if you do go, you'd want probably at least a week over there because to, to be back in your feet before you come home. I think the big thing, you know, they're looking at the things about surgery in Turkey and places mm, mm. and there are people being popped in planes like a day after their surgery and apart from the risk of clots and lung clots and things, you know, they were coming home to get and, and they, oh, quite a lot of them ended up in hospital straight away. Good you know, I've seen yeah. it happen. I've seen people come off, come from Shannon to me and turned around and go straight back into Limerick and be there for several months, you know, after botched surgeries. So I'm not saying don't go abroad, but um, just really do your homework and, and have a good look at it, um, especially if you're going to spend thousands and thousands on the 
of course. Kind of of course. If it's any help to people listening, if you're about to have a knee or hip operation, a lot of my friends who come dancing to us, Pat, you see them back on the dance floor within a few months. I mean, it's amazing what's being done. You see, your dancers, Fran, are super fit. Yeah. I, I could nearly tell them walking up the town, the, the people who are older who dance and they're, you know, there's just a step in there. Yeah. Uh, there's just a, a spring in their step you don't get if you don't dance. And um, and their uh, their healing is great and their resilience is great and their determination and they're used to they're used to doing the things. So, um, and as you say, they're back in the dance floor in no time. Which, which, and there's which no is pain, right? which is a big thing, because chronic pain does wear you down. And there's about five different types of painkillers, and they're all, every one of them is a drawback. You know, I, I always get into trouble in the show giving out about painkillers, but, you know, they are not good for you. No, but you're right, you're right to, to, to point it out. And, and some of us take them as the norm, Pat, and that's the problem, isn't it? You know, we pop a couple of every day, yeah. you know, just because it's the... I always go for lifestyle over tablets. Can I ask you quickly about shingles? Because I spoke, it, it's kind of become a national conversation since the pharmaceutical company has advertised the the vaccines and it turns out the vaccines are very expensive and they're not available on the medical card. But I was speaking to Michael earlier on and he has still the effects of shingles four years on, Pat. So it can yeah. be very debilitating, can't it? It's a thing called post-herpetic neuralgia. And it, the neuralgia means that the nerve is inflamed. Now, the younger you are when you get shingles, the less chance you have of getting it. And it's so sad when you see some cold crater who's really old and they get shingles. And um, the shingles, the spots are gone. The spots will last a couple of weeks, maybe. Mm. Um, but they've got pain if you touch that area or if they move. And it's usually in the trunk. You know? and yes. it, it's, it's terrible. Like, it brings tears to your eyes. And yeah. it's lancinating nerve pain. Um, one of the things they used to use was, was a thing called the, Vers- well, the Versatis patch. Do you remember there was a big Joe Duffy thing going about that? That's, that's that right. A, Mike, a, Michael a said he, he got that patch and it was very helpful to him, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, well, that's what that was invented for. Another thing you can use is a thing called capitin, um, which is made from um, chili. And the capitin works really well. It's actually very good for knee pain as well. Right. It's hard to get now, but you rub it on and it's like, sort of like a, a warming effect. It's great for inflammation. Um, I, I'd run it by the chemist or if you're going to do anything like that. You right. know, but, um, Pe- people are going to be texting now to, to, to have clarity on the name of that as well. So what what is it again, Pat? I, I don't want to be given a brand name because there's right. a couple of different types, but it's Capacin. Okay. I, God, right. I'm a that's terrible the, speller. But that's the ingredient. There's an S and a C in a silver. Okay. And that's yeah. very good for knee pain and good for post-herpatic neuralgia. Um, the vaccine is dear. There's no doubt about it. It's yeah. um, like about three or 400 quid. And it's something definitely to consider once you turn 60 because you do have a one in three chance of getting shingles. So... Um, and the older you get, you probably, and they say it's 90% efficiency for a few years. Probably worth getting. Um, and is, is it just because yeah. there's a conversation around it? But am I hearing a lot more about shingles in recent times, Pat? Um, yeah, I suppose the, the manufacturers are pushing the vaccine. Oh, maybe. Which yeah, maybe. True, but, yeah. Um, which is one part of it. But it's something we're all very aware of. Right. I mean, I'd, I hardly a week or two would go by, but I wouldn't see somebody with shingles. It's very, very common. And are they contagious? No, but you can get... No, it's weird. It's actually downright weird. For, you you get chicken pox when you're young. And yes. the chicken pox scurries off to your um, spinal cord, again, hides in, in it. And then when you're about 70 years of age and you're feeling a bit 
gets run down and you might have a cold or something, out pops the chicken pox and comes back as shingles. So theoretically, when you've got open sort of, do you remember chicken pox are like open sore kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. It's exactly like that, only it's running along a narrow route, which is generally along your ribs. And it's generally on one side, and it runs along, it's like somebody hits you with a bit, and then these spots come up. But typically, you get the pain a couple of days before. I don't know how often I've been caught out by somebody saying, oh, I'm having awful pain there. Mm. And then they ring you up and say, God, that night the spot came up. You know, which is... Um, uh, so you've got this, these things, and they can actually beat chicken pox virus. So you That's might actually, if you yeah. were holding a kid or something, a baby up against it, you, they could catch chicken pox from you. But for some reason, they often think, and I used to think this was a real old wives' tale, but there's some truth to it. If there's an outbreak of chicken pox in the area, for some reason, it seems to reactivate itself. Nobody knows how, and a lot of the older people come out with shingles. And, um, and vice versa, it's, it's, it's almost like it nearly knows it's there and it reminds it to hop out. It's like a sleeper spy or something. It's oh really odd. Uh, I wish I understood it better. Yeah. It's totally fascinating. fascinating yeah. um, I know I, every time I, we I talk about this, I say I want to get the shingles vaccine and every time I do, I start thinking, you know, and then I forget about it. <laughs> so um, if I get caught, <laughs> I'll, I'll come on and tell you all about it. All right, Pat. Well, you look after yourself in the meantime. Thanks very much, Neil, Pat. Thank I you. heard you did a great job in Eden with the lights. Asha, we had a wonderful day there. Myself. Yeah, great team oh, of people yeah. there. Thanks uh, very much, Pat. Out, you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's my great friend there, GP. Uh, Pat Harold. Um, hello to Dennis Deegan of Clonmore. We announced yesterday that uh, Dennis lost the pool competition up in Fitzpatrick's, but I hear the uh, the winner was disqualified for <laughs> for using an, an illegal pool cue with a mini telescope on it. And now Dennis is back, uh, reinstated as the victory. Get fair play to you. That's it for me. Um, Emma produced, and uh, Stephen is on the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.